2: visit worldafropedia.com the african centered encyclopedia a global database of african knowledge for the purpose of bringing about global african wisdom and understanding
3: worldafropedia.com well i am here because i wrote an article that appeared in the new york times about a month ago and The article was about the images of black people, of African Americans, on television and uh, peripherally or secondarily on film. And what it required me to do is to uh, look at about 12 hours of mind-numbing television from Martin and Shanene in the dreadlocks and the padded hips to uh, hanging with Mr. Cooper where I saw two women coming to blows and one woman said, come on with it. That's W-I-D, not W-I-T-H, come on with it. Um, And I watched uh, Where I Live, which is considered to be a very good television show, and on that show there was a sidekick who made the comment um, about a friend who was going to college and his response to the friends getting a scholarship was, I hear they got some big booty women in college. That was the comment on that show. The story came about because um, an editor came to me and wanted me to do an article about uh, these two television shows. They were going to be on HBO. They appeared on HBO over the summer. One was Laurel Avenue. I don't know if you got a chance to see that. And Strapped. Um, I took the tapes home with me Um, They were considered to be landmark television because we don't have very many or have not had very many dramas depicting black life in this country, and so it was considered to be a very important step um, in television. So I took them home. Laurel Avenue starts out with a welfare mother who is getting off drugs, who's just gotten off drugs, And uh, her son is selling crack. She finds uh, the crack under his pillow. He carries a gun. all the stereotypes that you have seen before, and it builds. And it's very, very well done, very richly textured, Um, still can't get beyond the subject matter. And then Strapped is about a former drug dealer who's... um, seven-month pregnant girlfriend has gotten into jail because she was selling crack and so he decides to start selling guns in order to get her out of jail so these were the two shows that i that were to build this story about um what is considered to be the quote-unquote new realism in portraying black people on television i got them home i looked at them and throughout, I couldn't, I kept thinking to myself, why don't I like this? Why don't I feel comfortable with this? And obviously, now that I've described them to you, you can probably imagine why. So that is when I then uh, uh, went back and said that um, this is not necessarily what a lot of black people want to see or what a lot of black people would probably consider progress. And I began doing all this other reporting and found out that. The, that many black directors and many black producers feel the same way and have a very difficult time getting anything that they consider balanced on television. Um, it's hard to get financing for what they want. It's very difficult to get support. And even when you do, there's a, a constant like steamroller pushing you to move, it, move toward the stereotypes. I'll tell you one thing that Kevin Hooks, who was the director of several shows like St. Elsewhere and China Beach and several others, he said that he was filming, making a film in Harlem. It was a beautiful street, 114th Street, I believe it was, near Morningside Park, very pristine um, block. And he brought the producers out to look at the set as he built it up and made it look nice. And the producer said, well, can you put some litter or some trash around so that it'll look realistic, so that our, the viewers will recognize this as Harlem? He didn't. But that gives you a sense of even when people are in a black community, this is a black community he was in, um, the, the societal perceptions of us so drive Uh, a lot of this, that it's hard to get around that. When I talked with Malcolm Jamal Warner, he said that uh, on the last show that he was on Here and Now, he was constantly asked by the producers and director to slap his sidekick on the back of the head whenever he said anything funny or stupid. And that's uh, among the many things that I noticed as I watched these 12 or 15 hours of tapes You see a tremendous amount, if you watch in concentration and if you watch these shows from Hanging with Mr. Cooper to Where I Live to Martin to Fresh Prince, all these different shows, you'll notice uh, violence, even among so-called middle-class proper people. You'll see people hitting each other, threatening to hit, kick, talking about um, uh, hitting, uh, bopping you on the head. It doesn't matter what it is. That all comes out
4: context of white supremacy gusty renegade in for another broadcast hopefully to share constructive information on the system of white supremacy today's date friday april 6th 2018 so i have been told this is our fifth study session on angie thomas's best-selling young adult young adult novel, The Hate You Give. We're picking up on chapter 13. The voice you heard at the beginning, the lovely Isabel Wilkerson. She is absolutely gorgeous. Black female author, black journalist. Uh, She wrote The Warmth of Other Suns, which is one of my favorite books all time extremely constructive in fact it's on my top five we read it uh, back in the book club uh, 2013 it's in the archives of the cows Uh, but that was her giving a talk 25 years ago 1993 where she was talking about the type of patterns that you see in black television and film I thought it was extraordinarily applicable To the popularity of this book. Especially the portion where she talked about how. uh, Society. uh, I thought it should have just been more direct. White people. The racist. Viewing preferences of whites. Often drive. This type of. Anti-black content. I was praying. It had been years since I had heard. This commentary. I was praying. That she mentioned Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. And. She did. We will pick up Chapter 13. Angie Thomas, The Hate You Give Context of White Supremacy. 13 Mr. Lewis's left eye is swollen
2: shut and blood drips onto his shirt from a slash on his cheek, but he refuses to go to the hospital. Daddy's office has become an examining room, and Mama tends to Mr. Lewis with Daddy's help. I lean against the doorway and watch. Devante stands even farther back in the store. It took five of them to take me down, Mr. Lewis says. Five of them? Against one little old man? Ain't that something? It's really something that you're alive, I say. Snitches get stitches doesn't apply to king lords. More like snitches get graves. Mama tilts Mr. Lewis's head to look at the cut on his cheek. She's right. You're real lucky, Mr. Lewis. Don't even need stitches. King himself gave me that one, he says. He ain't come in till them other ones got me down, old punk ass looking like a black Michelin man. I snort. This ain't funny, Daddy says. I told you they was gonna come after you. And I told you I ain't scared. If this the worst they could do, they ain't did nothing. Nah, this ain't the worst, says Daddy. They could have killed you. I ain't the one they want, dead. He stretches his fat finger my way, but he looks beyond me at Devante. That's the one you need to worry about. I made him hide before they came in. But King said he know you helping that boy, and he gonna kill him if you find him. Devante backs away, his eyes wide. I swear in like two seconds, Daddy grabs Devante by his neck and slams him against the freezer. What the hell you do? Devante kicks and squirms and tries to pull Daddy's hands from his neck. Daddy, stop! Shut up! His glare never leaves Devante. I brought you in my house, and you ain't been honest about why you hiding? King wouldn't want you dead unless you did something, so what you do? Maverick! Mama breaks his name down real good. Let him go. He can't explain anything with you choking him. Daddy releases, and Devante bends over, gasping for air. Don't be putting your hands on me, he says. Or what, Daddy taunts. Start talking. Man, look, it ain't a big deal. King tripping. Is he for real? What did you do, I ask. Devante slides onto the floor and tries to catch his breath. He blinks real fast for several seconds. His face scrunches up. Suddenly he's bawling like a baby. I don't know anything else to do, so I sit in front of him. When Khalil would cry like that because his mama was messed up, I'd lift his head. I lift Devante's. It's okay, I say. That always worked with Khalil. It works with Devante, too. He stops crying as hard and says, I stole about five G's from King. Damn it. Daddy groans. What the hell, man? I had to get my family out of here. I was going to handle the dudes that killed Dalvin and shit. All that would do was make some GDs come after me. I was a dead man walking, straight up. I didn't want my mama and my sisters caught up in that, so I got them some bus tickets and got them out of town. That's why we can't get your mama on the phone, mama realizes. Tears fall around his lips. She didn't want me coming anyway. Said I'd get them killed. Put me out the house before they left. He looks at Daddy. Big Mav, I'm sorry. I should have told you the other day. I did change my mind about killing them dudes, though. But now King wants me dead. Please don't take me to him. I'll do anything. Please. He bet not. Mr. Lewis limps out of Daddy's office. You help that boy, Maverick! Daddy stares at the ceiling like he could cuss God out. Daddy, I plead. Aight. Come on, Vontae. Big Mav, he whimpers. I'm sorry. Please, I'm not taking you to King. But we gotta get you out of here, Now. Forty minutes later, Mama and I pull up behind Daddy and Devante in Uncle Carlos' driveway. I'm surprised Daddy knows how to get here. He never comes out here with us. Never. Holidays, birthdays, none of that. I guess he doesn't want to deal with Nana and her mouth. Mama and I get out her car as Daddy and Devante get out the truck. This is where you're bringing him? Mama says. My brother's house? Yeah, Daddy says, like it's no big deal. Uncle Carlos comes from the garage, wiping oil off his hands with one of Aunt Pam's good towels. He shouldn't be home. It's the middle of a work day, and he never takes sick days. He stops wiping his hands, but the knuckles on one of them are still dark. Devante squints against the sunlight and looks around like we brought him to another planet. Damn, Big Mel, where we at? Where are we? Uncle Carlos corrects, and offers his hand. Carlos, you must be Devante. Devante stares at his hand. No manners at all. How you know my name? Uncle Carlos awkwardly lets his hand fall to his side. Maverick told me about you. We've discussed getting you out here. Oh, Mama says, with a hollow laugh. Maverick's discussed getting him out here. She narrows her eyes at Daddy. I'm surprised you even knew how to get out here, Maverick. Daddy's nostrils flare. We'll talk later. Come on, Uncle Carlos says. I'll show you your room. Devante stares at the house his eyes all big. What you do to get a house like this? Dang, you nosy, I say. Uncle Carlos chuckles. It's okay, Star. My wife's a surgeon, and I'm a detective. Devante stops dead. He turns on Daddy. What the fuck, man? You brought me to a cop? Watch your mouth, Daddy says and I brought you to somebody who actually want to help you. A cop, though? If the homies find out, they're going to think I'm snitching. They're not your homies if you got to hide from them, I say. Plus, Uncle Carlos wouldn't ask you to snitch. She's right, says Uncle Carlos. Maverick's really serious about getting you out of Garden Heights. Mama scoffs loudly. When he told us the situation, we wanted to help. Uncle Carlos goes on, and it sounds like you need our help. Devante sighs. Man, this ain't cool. Look, I'm on leave, says Uncle Carlos. You don't have to worry about me getting information out of you. Leave, I say. That explains the sweats in the middle of the day. Why'd they put you on leave? He glances from me to Mama and she probably doesn't know I see her shake her head real quick. Don't worry about it, baby girl, he says, hooking his arm around me. I needed a vacation. It's so, so obvious. They put him on leave because of me. Nana meets us at the front door. Knowing her, she's been watching through the window since we got here. She has one arm folded and takes a drag of her cigarette with the other. She blows the smoke toward the ceiling while staring at Devante. Who he's supposed to be? Devante, Uncle Carlos says. He's staying with us. What you mean he's staying with us? Just what I said. He got in a little trouble in Garden Heights and needs to stay here. She scoffs, and I know where Mama gets it from. A little trouble, huh? Tell the truth, boy. She lowers her voice and asks with suspicious, squinted eyes. Did you kill somebody? Mama, my mama says. What? I better ask before y'all have me sleeping in the house with a murderer, waking up dead. What in the? You can't wake up dead, I say. Little girl, you know what I mean. She moves from the doorway. I'll be waking up in Jesus' face trying to figure out what happened. Like you going to heaven, daddy mumbles. Uncle Carlos gives Devante a tour. His room is about as big as me and Seven's rooms put together. It doesn't seem right that he only has a little backpack to put in it, and when we go to the kitchen, Uncle Carlos makes him hand that over. There are a few rules for living here, Uncle Carlos says. One, follow the rules. Two, he pulls the Glock from Devante's backpack. No weapons and no drugs. I know you ain't bring that in my house, Vante, Daddy says. King probably got money on my head. You damn right I got a piece. Rule three, Uncle Carlos speaks over him. No cursing. I have an eight-year-old and a three-year-old. They don't need to hear that. Because they hear it from Nana enough. Ava's new favorite word is, God damn it. Rule four, Uncle Carlos says, go to school. Man, Devante groans, I already told Big Mav I can't go back to Garden High. We know, Daddy says, once we get in touch with your mama, we'll get you enrolled in an online program. Lisa's mama is a retired teacher. She can tutor you through it so you can finish the year out. Like hell I can, Nana says. I don't know where she is, but I'm not surprised she's listening. Mama, stop being nosy, Uncle Carlos says. Stop volunteering me for shit. Stop cursing, he says. Tell me what to do again and see what happens. Uncle Carlos's face and neck go red. The doorbell rings. Carlos, get the door. Nana says from wherever she's hiding. He purses his lips and leaves to answer. As he comes back, I can hear him talking to somebody. Then somebody laughs, and I know that laugh because it makes me laugh. Look who I found, Uncle Carlos says. Chris is behind him in his white Williamson polo and khaki shorts. He has on the red and black Jordan 12s that MJ wore when he had the flu during the 97 finals. Shoot. That makes Chris finer for some reason. Or I have a Jordan fetish. Hi. He smiles without showing teeth. Hi. I smile, too. I forget that Daddy is here and that I potentially have a big-ass problem on my hands. That only lasts about ten seconds, though, because Daddy asks, Who are you? Chris extends his hand to Daddy. Christopher, sir, nice to meet you. Daddy gives him a twice over. You know my daughter or something? Yeah. Chris stretches it kind of long and looks at me. We both go to Williamson? I nod. Good answer. Daddy folds his arms. Well, do you or don't you? You sound a little unsure about that. Mama gives Chris a quick hug. All the while, Daddy mean-mugs the hell out of him. How are you doing, sweetie? She asks. I'm fine. I didn't mean to interrupt anything. I saw your car, and Star wasn't at school today, so I wanted to check on her. It's fine, says Mama. Tell your mom and dad I said hello. How are they? Hold up, Daddy says. Y'all act like this dude been around a minute. Daddy turns to me. Why ain't I never heard about him? It's gonna take a hell of a lot of boldness to put myself out there for Khalil. Like, I once told my militant black daddy about my white boyfriend kind of boldness. If I can't stand up to my dad about Chris, how can I stand up for Khalil? Daddy always tells me to never bite my tongue for anyone. That includes him. So I say it. He's my boyfriend. Boyfriend? Daddy repeats. Yeah, her boyfriend. Nana pipes up again from wherever she is. Hey, Chris, baby. Chris glances around, all confused. Uh, hey, Ms. Montgomery. Nana was the first to find out about Chris. Thanks to her master snooping skills, she told me, go ahead, get your swirl on, baby. Then proceeded to tell me about all of her swirling adventures, which I didn't need to know. The hell star, Daddy says. You dating a white boy? Maverick? Mama snaps. Calm down, Maverick, Uncle Carlos says. He's a good kid, and he treats her well. That's all that matters, isn't it? You knew? Daddy says. He looks at me, and I don't know if that's anger or hurt in his eyes. He knew, and I didn't? This happens when you have two dads. One of them's bound to get hurt, and you're bound to feel like shit because of it. Let's go outside, Mama says tightly. Now. Daddy glares at Chris, "'and follows Mama to the patio. "'The doors have thick glass, but I still hear her go off on him. "'Come on, Devante,' Uncle Carlos says. "'Go to show you the basement and the laundry room.' "'Devante sizes Chris up. "'Boyfriend,' he says with a slight laugh and looks at me. "'I should have known you'd have a white boy.' "'He leaves with Uncle Carlos.' What the hell that's supposed to mean? Sorry, I tell Chris. My dad shouldn't have gone off like that. It could have been worse. He could have killed me. True. I motion him to sit at the counter while I get us some drinks. Who was that guy with your uncle? He asks. Aunt Pam ain't got one soda up in here. Juice, water and sparkling water. I bet Nana has a stash of Sprite and Coke in her room, though. Devante, I say, grabbing two apple juice boxes. He got caught up in some King Lord stuff, and Daddy brought him to live with Uncle Carlos. Why was he looking at me like that? Get over it, Maverick! He's white! Mama shouts on the patio, White, white, white! Chris blushes and blushes, and blushes, and blushes. I hand him a juice box. That's why Devante was looking at you that way. You're white. Okay, he asks more than says. Is this one of those black things I won't understand? Okay, babe, real talk. If you were somebody else, I'd side-eye the shit out of you for calling it that. Calling it what? A black thing? Yeah. But isn't that what it is? Not really, I say. It's not like this kind of stuff is exclusive to black people, you know. The reasoning may be different, but that's about it. Your parents don't have a problem with us dating? I wouldn't call it a problem, Chris says. But we did talk about it. So it's not just a black thing then, huh? Point made. We sit at the counter, and I listened to his play-by-play of school today. Nobody walked out because the police were there, waiting for any drama. Haley and Maya asked about you, he says. I told them you were sick. They could have texted me and asked themselves. I think they feel guilty about yesterday. Especially Haley. White guilt. He winks. I crack up. My white boyfriend talking about white guilt. Mama yells. And I love how you insist on getting somebody else's child out of Garden Heights, but you want ours to stay in that hell hole. You want them in the suburbs with all this fake shit? Daddy says. If this is fake, baby, I'll take it over real any day. I'm sick of this. The kids go to school out here. I take them to church out here. Their friends are out here. We can afford to move. But you want to stay in that mess. Because at least in Garden Heights, people ain't going to treat them like shit. They already do. And wait until King can't find Devante. Who do you think he's going to look at? Us. I told you I'll handle that, Daddy says. We ain't moving. It ain't even up for discussion. Oh, really? Really? Chris gives me a bit of a smile. This is awkward. My cheeks are hot, and I'm glad I'm too brown for it to show. Yeah. Awkward. He takes my hand and taps his fingertips against my fingertips, one at a time. He laces his fingers through mine and we let our arms swing together in the space between us. Daddy comes in and slams the door behind him. He zeroes straight in on our joined hands. Chris doesn't let go. Point for my boyfriend. We'll talk later, Star. Daddy marches out. If this were a rom-com, Chris says, you'd be Zoe Saldana, and I'd be Ashton Kutcher. Huh? He sips his juice. This old movie, Guess Who? I caught it when I had the flu a few weeks ago. Zoe Saldana dated Ashton Kutcher. Her dad didn't like that she was seeing a white guy. That's us. Except this isn't funny, I say. It can be. Nah. What's funny, though, is that you watched a rom-com. Hey, he cries. It was hilarious. More of a comedy than a rom-com. Bernie Mac was her dad. That guy was hilarious, one of the kings of comedy. I don't think it can be called a rom-com simply because he was in it. Okay, you get points for knowing Bernie Mac and that he was a king of comedy. Everyone should know that. True, but you don't get a pass. It was still a rom-com. I won't tell anyone, though. I lean over to kiss his cheek but he moves his head, giving me no choice but to kiss him on the mouth. Soon we're making out, right there in my uncle's kitchen. <clears> him! <throat> somebody clears their throat. Chris and I separate so fast. I thought embarrassment was having my boyfriend hear my parents argue. Nope, embarrassment is having my mom walk in on me and Chris making out. Again. Don't y'all think y'all should let each other breathe? She says. Chris blushes down to his Adam's apple. I should go. He leaves with a quick goodbye to Mama. She raises her eyebrows at me. Are you taking your birth control pills? Mommy! Answer my question, are you? Yes. I groan, putting my face on the countertop. When was your last cycle? Oh, my Lord. I lift my head and flash the fakest of fake smiles. We're fine. Promise. Y'all got some nerve. Your daddy was barely out the driveway and y'all slobbering all over each other. You know how Maverick is. Are we staying out here tonight? The question catches her off guard. Why would you think that? Because you and Daddy had a disagreement, that's all. A disagreement the whole neighborhood heard? Plus one the other night. Star, we're okay. Don't worry about it. Your father's being... Your father. Outside, somebody honks his car horn a bunch of times. Mama rolls her eyes. Speaking of your father... I guess Mr. I'm-going-to-slam-doors needs me to move my car so he can leave. She shakes her head and heads toward the front. I throw Chris's juice away and search the cabinets. Aunt Pam may be picky when it comes to drinks, but she always buys good snacks, and my stomach is talking. I get some graham crackers and slather peanut butter on them. So good. Devante comes in the kitchen. Can't believe you dating a white boy. He sits next to me and steals a graham cracker sandwich. a wigger at that. Excuse you, I say with a mouthful of peanut butter. Here's not a wigger, please do wearing jays. white boys wear converse and vans, not no jays unless they trying to be black, really, My bad, I didn't know shoes determined somebody's race. He can't say anything to that like I thought. What you see in him anyway, for real? All them dudes in Garden Heights who would get with you in a second and you looking at Justin Bieber? I point in his face. Don't call him that. And what dudes? Nobody in Garden Heights is checking for me. Hardly anybody knows my name. Hell, even you called me Big Mav's daughter who work in the store. Cause you don't come around, he says. I ain't never seen you at a party, nothing. Without thinking, I say. You mean parties where people get shot at? And as soon as it leaves my mouth, I feel like shit. Oh, my God, I'm sorry. I shouldn't have said that. He stares at the countertop. It's cool. Don't worry about it. We quietly nibble on graham crackers. Um... I say. The silence is brutal. Uncle Carlos and Aunt Pam are cool. I think you'll like it here. He bites another graham cracker. They can be corny sometimes, but they're sweet. They'll look out for you. Knowing Aunt Pam, she'll treat you like Ava and Daniel. Uncle Carlos will probably be tougher. If you follow the rules, you'll be okay. Khalil talked about you sometimes. Devante says. Huh? You said nobody knows you, but Khalil talked about you. I ain't know you was Big Mav's daughter who... I ain't know that was you, he says, but he talked about his friend Star. He said you were the coolest girl he knew. Some peanut butter gets stuck in my throat, but it's not the only reason I swallow. How did you know... Oh, yeah. Both of y'all were king lords. I swear to God, whenever I think about Khalil falling into that life, it's like watching him die all over again. Yeah, Khalil matters and not the stuff he did, but I can't lie and say it doesn't bother me or it's not disappointing. He knew better. Devante says, Khalil wasn't the king lord star. But at the funeral, King put the bandana on him. To save face, Devante says. He tried to get Khalil to join, but Khalil said nah. Then a cop killed him, so, you know, all the homies riding for him now. King not about to admit that Khalil turned him down, so he got folks thinking that Khalil repped King Lords. Wait, I say. How do you know he turned King down? Khalil told me in the park one day. We was posted up. So y'all sold drugs together? Yeah. For King. Oh. He didn't want to sell drugs, Star. Devante says. Nobody really want to do that shit. Khalil ain't have much of a choice, though. Yeah, he did. I say thickly. No, he didn't. Look. His mama stole some shit from King. King wanted her dead. Khalil found out and started selling to pay the debt. What? Yeah, that's the only reason he started doing that shit, trying to save her. I can't believe it. Then again, I can. That was classic Khalil. No matter what his mama did, he was still her knight, and he was still going to protect her. This is worse than denying him. I thought the worst of him. Like everybody else. Don't be mad at him, Devante says. And it's funny because I can hear Khalil asking me not to be mad too. I'm not, I sigh. Okay, I was a little mad. I just hate how he's being called a thug and shit when people don't know the whole story. You said it, he wasn't a gangbanger, and if everybody knew why he sold drugs, then they wouldn't think he was a thug, like me. Oh, damn. I didn't mean... It's cool, he says. I get it. I guess I am a thug. I don't know. I did what I had to do. King Lords was the closest thing me and Dalvin had to a a family. But your mama, I say... And your sisters? They couldn't look out for us like king lords do, he says. Me and Dalvin looked out for them. With king lords, we had a whole bunch of folks who had our backs, no matter what. They bought us clothes and shit our mama couldn't afford and always made sure we ate. He looks at the counter. It was just cool to have somebody take care of us for a change, instead of the other way around. Oh. A shitty response, I know. Like I said, nobody likes selling drugs, he says. I hated that shit, for real. But I hated seeing my mama and my sisters go hungry, you know? I don't know. I've never had to know. My parents made sure of that. You got it good, then, he says. I'm sorry they talking about Khalil like that, though. He really was a good dude. Hopefully one day they can find out the truth. Yeah, I say quietly. Devante. Khalil. Neither one of them thought they had much of a choice. If I were them, I'm not sure I'd make a much better one. Guess that makes me a thug, too. I'm going for a walk, I say, getting up. My head's all over the place. You can have the rest of the graham crackers and peanut butter. I leave. I don't know where I'm going. I don't know much of anything anymore. Fourteen. I end up at Maya's house. Truth be told, that's the farthest I can go in Uncle Carlos's neighborhood before the houses start looking the same. It's that weird time between day and night when the sky looks like it's on fire and mosquitoes are on the hunt. All of the lights at the Yang house are already on, which is a lot of lights. Their house is big enough for me and my family to live with them and have a little wiggle room. There's a blue infinity coupe with a dented bumper in the circular driveway. Haley can't drive for shit. No lie. It stings a little knowing they hang out without me. That's what happens when you live so far away from your friends. I can't get mad about it. Jealous, maybe, not mad. That protest shit, though? Now that makes me mad. Mad enough to ring the doorbell. Besides, I told Maya the three of us could talk. So fine, we'll talk. Mrs. Yang answers, her Bluetooth headset around her neck. Star! She beams and hugs me. So good to see you. How is everyone? Good, I say. She announces my arrival to Maya and lets me in. The aroma of Mrs. Yang's seafood lasagna greets me in the foyer. I hope it's not a bad time, I say. Not at all, sweetie. Maya's upstairs. Haley, too. You're more than welcome to join us for dinner. No, George, I wasn't talking to you, she says into her headset, then mouths at me, my assistant, and rolls her eyes a little. I smile and take off my Nike dunks. In the Yang house, shoe removal is part Chinese tradition, part Mrs. Yang likes people to be comfy. Maya races down the stairs wearing an oversized T-shirt and basketball shorts that almost hang to her ankles. Star! She reaches the bottom, and there's this awkward moment where her arms are out like she wants to hug me, but she starts lowering them. I hug her anyway. It's been a while since I got a good Maya hug. Her hair smells like citrus, and she hugs all tight and motherly. Maya leads me to her bedroom. White Christmas lights hang from the ceiling. There's a shelf for video games, Adventure Time memorabilia all around, and Haley in a beanbag chair, concentrating on the basketball player she's controlling on Maya's flat screen. Look who's here, Hales, Maya says. Haley glances up at me. Hey, hey, it's Awkward Central in here. I step over an empty Sprite can and a bag of Doritos and sit in the other beanbag chair. Maya closes her door. An old-school poster of Michael Jordan in his famous Jumpman pose is on the back. Maya belly-flops onto her bed and grabs a controller off the floor. You want to join in, Star? Yeah, sure. She hands me a third controller and we start a new game. The three of us against a computer-controlled team. It's a lot like when we play in real life, a combination of rhythm, chemistry, and skill but the awkwardness in the room is so thick it's hard to ignore. They keep glancing at me. I keep my eyes on the screen. The animated crowd cheers as Haley's player makes a three-pointer. Nice shot, I say. Okay, cut the crap. Haley grabs the TV remote and flicks the game off, turning to a detective show instead. Why are you mad at us? Why did you protest? Since she wants to cut the crap, may as well get right to it. Because, she says, like that's reason enough, I don't see what the big deal is, Star. You said you didn't know him. Why does that make a difference? Isn't a protest a good thing? Not if you're only doing it to cut class. So you want us to apologize for it, even though everybody else did it too? Haley asked. Just because everyone else did it doesn't mean it's okay. Shit, I sound like my mother. Guys, stop, Maya says. Haley, if Star wants us to apologize, fine. We can apologize. Star, I'm sorry for protesting. It was stupid to use a tragedy just to get out of class. We look at Haley. She sits back and folds her arms. I'm not apologizing when I didn't do anything wrong. If anything, she should apologize for accusing me of being racist last week. Wow, I say. One thing that irks the hell out of me about Haley? The way she can turn an argument around and make herself the victim. She's a master at this shit. I used to fall for it, but now? I'm not apologizing for what I felt, I say. I don't care what your intention was, Haley. That fried chicken comment felt racist to me. Fine, she says. Just like I felt it was fine to protest. Since I won't apologize for what I felt, and you won't apologize for what you felt, I guess we'll just watch TV. Fine, I say. Maya grunts like it's taking everything in her not to choke us. You know what? (laughs) If you two want to be this stubborn, fine. Maya flicks through channels. Haley does that BS move where you look at someone out the corner of your eye, but you don't want them to know that you care enough to look, so you avert your eyes. At this point, it's whatever. I thought I came to talk, but yeah. I really want an apology. I look at TV. A singing competition. A reality show. One fifteen, A celebrity dance. Wait! Back up, back up, I tell Maya. She flicks through the channels, and when he appears again, I say, right there! I've pictured his face so much. Actually, seeing it again is different. My memory is pretty spot-on. A thin, jagged scar above his lip, bursts of freckles that cover his face and neck. My stomach churns and my skin crawls, and I want to get away from 115. My instinct doesn't care that it's a photograph being shown on TV. A silver cross pendant hangs from his neck, like he's saying Jesus endorses what he did. We must believe in a different Jesus. What looks like an older version of him appears on the screen, but this man doesn't have the scar on his lip, and there are more wrinkles on his neck than freckles. He has white hair, although there's still some streaks of brown in it. My son was afraid for his life, he says. He only wanted to get home to his wife and kids. Pictures flash on the screen. 115 smiles with his arms draped around a blurred-out woman. He's on a fishing trip with two small, blurred-out children. They show him with a smiley golden retriever, with his pastor and some fellow deacons who are all blurred-out, and then in his police uniform. Officer Brian Cruz Jr. has been on the force for 16 years, the voiceover says, and more pics of him as a cop are shown. He's been a cop for as long as Khalil was alive, and I wonder if in some sick twist of fate, Khalil was only born for this man to kill. A majority of those years have been spent serving in Garden Heights, the voiceover continues a neighborhood notorious for gangs and drug dealers. I tense as footage of my neighborhood. My home is shown. It's like they picked the worst parts, the drug addicts roaming the streets, the broken-down Cedar Grove projects, gangbangers flashing signs, bodies on the sidewalks with white sheets over them. What about Mrs. Rooks and her cakes? Or Mr. Lewis and his haircuts? Mr. Rubin? the clinic, my family, me. I feel Haley's and Maya's eyes on me. I can't look at them. My son loved working in the neighborhood, fifteen's father claims. He always wanted to make a difference in the lives there. Funny. Slave masters thought they were making a difference in black people's lives too, saving them from their wild African ways. Same shit, different century. I wish people like them would stop thinking that people like me need saving. 115 Senior talks about his son's life before the shooting. How he was a good kid who never got into trouble. Always wanted to help others. A lot like Khalil. But then he talks about the stuff 115 did that Khalil will never get to do. Like go to college. Get married. Have a family, the interviewer asks about that night. Apparently, Brian pulled the kid over because he had a broken taillight and was speeding. Khalil wasn't speeding. He told me, Pop, soon as I pulled him over, I had a bad feeling, says 115 Senior. Why is that? The interviewer asks. He said the kid and his friend immediately started cursing him out. We never cursed. And they kept glancing at each other, like they were up to something. Brian says that's when he got scared, because they could have taken him down if they teamed up. I couldn't have taken anyone down. I was too afraid. He makes us sound like we're superhumans. We're kids. No matter how afraid he is, my son's still going to do his job, he says. And that's all he set out to do that night. There have been reports that Khalil Harris was unarmed when the incident took place, the interviewer says. Has your son told you why he made the decision to shoot? Brian says he had his back to the kid, and he heard the kid say, I'm gonna show your ass today. No, 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 Khalil asked if I was okay. Brian turned around and saw something in the car door. He thought it was a gun. It was a hairbrush. His lips quiver. My body shakes. He covers his mouth to hold back a sob. I cover mine to keep from puking. Brian's a good boy, he says in tears. He only wanted to get home to his family, and people are making him out to be a monster. That's all Khalil and I wanted, and you're making us out to be monsters. I can't breathe. Like I'm drowning in the tears I refuse to shed, I won't give 115 or his father the satisfaction of crying. Tonight, they shot me too, more than once, and killed a part of me. Unfortunately for them, it's the part that felt any hesitation about speaking out. How has your son's life changed since this happened? The interviewer asked. All of our lives have been hell, honestly, his father claims. Brian's a people person, but now he's afraid to go out in public, even for something as simple as getting a gallon of milk. There have been threats on his life, our family's lives. His wife had to quit her job. He's even been attacked by fellow officers. Physically or verbally, the interviewer asks. Both, he says. It hits me. Uncle Carlos's bruised knuckles. This is awful, Haley says. That poor family. She's looking at 115 Senior with sympathy that belongs to Brenda and Miss Rosalie. I blink several times. What? His son lost everything because he was trying to do his job and protect himself. His life matters too, you know. I cannot right now. I can't. I stand up or otherwise I will say or do something really stupid, like punch her. I need to... yeah. I say all that I can and start for the door, but Maya grabs the tail of my cardigan. Whoa, whoa! You guys haven't worked this out yet, she says. Maya, I say as calmly as possible. please let me go. I cannot talk to her. Did you not hear what she said? Are you serious right now? Haley asks. What's wrong with saying his life matters too? His life always matters more. My voice is gruff and my throat is tight. That's the problem. Star, star, Maya says, trying to catch my eye. I look at her. What's going on? You're Harry in Order of the Phoenix angry lately. Thank you, Haley says. She's been in bitch mode for weeks but wants to blame me. Excuse you? There's a knock on the door. Girls, is everything okay? Mrs. Yang asks. We're fine, Mom. Video game stuff. Maya looks at me and lowers her voice. Please sit down. Please. I sit on her bed. Commercials replace 115 Senior on the TV and fill in the gap of silence we've created. I blurt out, Why did you unfollow my Tumblr? Haley turns toward me. What? You unfollowed my Tumblr. Why? She glances at Maya quickly, but I notice and goes, I don't know what you're talking about. Cut the bullshit, Haley. You unfollowed me. Months ago. Why? She doesn't say anything. I swallow. Is it because of the Emmett Till picture? Oh, my God, she says, standing up. Here we go again. I am not going to stay here and let you accuse me of something. Star, you don't text me anymore, I say. You freaked out about that picture. Do you hear her? Haley says to Maya. Once again, calling me racist. I'm not calling you anything. I'm asking a question and giving you examples. You're insinuating. I never even mentioned race. Silence comes between us. Haley shakes her head. Her lips are thin. Unbelievable. She grabs her jacket off Maya's bed and starts for the door. She stops, and her back is to me. You want to really know why I unfollowed you, Star? Because I don't know who the hell you are anymore. She slams the door on her way out. The news program returns on the television. They show footage of protests all over the country, not just in Garden Heights. Hopefully none of them used Khalil's death to skip class or work. Out of nowhere, Maya says, That's not why. She's staring at her closed door, her shoulders a bit stiff. Huh? I say. She's lying, Maya says. That's not why she unfollowed you. She said she didn't want to see that shit on her dashboard. I figured. That Emmett Till picture, right? No. All the black stuff, she called it. The petitions, the Black Panther pictures, that post on those four little girls who were killed in that church, the stuff about that Marcus Garvey guy, the one about those Black Panthers who were shot by the government. Fred Hampton and Bobby Hutton, I say. Yeah, them. Wow. She's been paying attention. Why didn't you tell me? She stares at her plush fin on the floor. I hoped she'd change her mind before you found out. I should have known better, though. It's not like that's the first fucked up thing she said. What are you talking about? Maya swallows hard. Do you remember that time she asked if my family ate a cat for Thanksgiving? What? When? Her eyes are glossy. Freshman year. First period, Mrs. Edwards' biology class. We'd just gotten back from Thanksgiving break. Class hadn't started yet, and we were talking about what we did for Thanksgiving. I told you guys my grandparents visited, and it was their first time celebrating Thanksgiving. Haley asked if we ate a cat, because we're Chinese. Holy shit, I'm racking my brain right now. Freshman year is so close to middle school, there's a huge possibility I said or did something extremely stupid. I'm afraid to know, but I ask, what did I say? Nothing. You had this look on your face like you couldn't believe she said that. She claimed it was a joke and laughed. I laughed, and then you laughed. Maya blinks, a lot. I only laughed because I thought I was supposed to. I felt like shit the rest of the week. Oh, yeah. I feel like shit right now. I can't believe I let Haley say that. Or has she always joked like that? Did I always laugh because I thought I had to? That's the problem. We let people say stuff, and they say it so much that it becomes okay to them. And normal for us. What's the point of having a voice if you're going to be silent in those moments you shouldn't be? Maya, I say. Yeah? We can't let her get away with saying stuff like that again. Okay? She cracks a smile. A minority alliance? Hell yeah, I say. And we laugh. All right, deal. A game of NBA 2K15 later, I whooped Maya's butt. I'm walking back to Uncle Carlos' house with a foil-wrapped plate of seafood lasagna. Mrs. Yang never lets me leave empty-handed, and I never turn down food. Iron street lamps line the sidewalks, and I see Uncle Carlos from a few houses down, sitting on his front steps in the dark. He's chugging back something, and as I get closer, I can see the Heineken. I put my plate on the steps and sit beside him. You better not have been at your little boyfriend's house, he says. Lord, Chris is always Lil to him, and they're almost the same height. No, I was at Maya's. I stretch my legs forward and yawn. It's been a long-ass day. I can't believe you're drinking, I say through my yawn. I'm not drinking. It's one beer. Is that what Nana said? He cuts me a look. Star. Uncle Carlos, I say, as firmly. We battle it out. Hard stare versus hard stare. He sets the beer down. Here's the thing. Nana's an alcoholic. She's not as bad as she used to be, but all it takes is one hard drink, and she's the other Nana. I've heard stories of her drunken rages from back in the day. She'd blame Mama and Uncle Carlos that their daddy went back to his wife and other kids. She'd lock them out the house, cuss at them, all kinds of stuff. So no, one beer isn't one beer to Uncle Carlos, who's always been anti-alcohol. Sorry, he says. It's one of those nights. You saw the interview, didn't you? I ask. Yeah. I was hoping you didn't. I did. Did my mom see? Oh, yeah, she saw it. So did Pam and your grandma. I've never been in a room with so many pissed off women in my life. He looks at me. How are you dealing with it? I shrug. Yeah, I'm pissed. But honestly, I expected his dad to make him the victim. I did too. He rests his cheek in his palm, his elbow propped on his knee. It's not too dark on the steps. I see the bruising on his hand fine. So, I say, patting my knees. On leave, huh? He looks at me like he's trying to figure out what I'm getting at. Yeah. Silence. Did you fight him, Uncle Carlos? He straightens up. No. I had a discussion with him. You mean your fist talked to his eye. Did he say something about me? He pointed his gun at you. That was more than enough. His voice has a foreign edge to it. It's totally inappropriate. But I laugh. I have to hold my side, I laugh so hard. What's so funny? He cries. Uncle Carlos, you punched somebody. Hey, I'm from Garden Heights. I know how to fight. I can get down. I'm hollering right now. It's not funny, he says. I shouldn't have lost my cool like that. It was unprofessional. Now I've set a bad example for you. Yeah, you have, Muhammad Ali. I'm still laughing. Now he's laughing. Hush, he says. Our laughter dies down, and it's real quiet out here. Nothing to do but look at the sky and all the stars. There's so many of them tonight. It's possible that I don't notice them at home because of all the other stuff. Sometimes it's hard to believe Garden Heights and Riverton Hills share the same sky. You remember what I used to tell you, Uncle Carlos says. I scoot closer to him. That I'm not named after the stars, but the stars are named after me? You were really trying to give me a big head, huh? He chuckles. No. I wanted you to know how special you are. Special or not, you shouldn't have risked your job for me. You love your job. But I love you more. You're one reason I even became a cop, baby girl. Because I love you and all those folks in the neighborhood. I know. That's why I don't want you to risk it. We need the ones like you. The ones like me. He gives a hollow laugh. You know, I got pissed listening to that man talk about you and Khalil like that. But it made me consider the comments I made about Khalil that night in your parents' kitchen. What comments? I know you were eavesdropping, star. Don't act brand new. I smirk. Uncle Carlos said, brand new. You mean, when you called Khalil a drug dealer? He nods. Even if he was, I knew that boy. Watched him grow up with you. He was more than any bad decision he made, he says. I hate that I let myself fall into that mindset of trying to rationalize his death. And at the end of the day, you don't kill someone for opening a car door. If you do, you shouldn't be a cop. I tear up. It's good to hear my parents and Miss Oprah say that, or see all the protesters shout about it. From my uncle, the cop, though? It's a relief, even if it makes everything hurt a little more. I told Brian that, he says, looking at his knuckles, after I clocked him. Told the chief, too. Actually, I think I screamed it loud enough for everybody in the precinct to hear. It doesn't take away from what I did, though. I dropped the ball on Khalil. No, you didn't. Yes, I did, he says. I knew him, knew his family's situation. After he stopped coming around with you, he was out of sight and out of mind to me. And there's no excuse for that. There's no excuse for me, either. I think all of us feel like that, I mutter. That's one reason Daddy's determined to help Devante. Yeah, he says. Me too. I look at all the stars again. Daddy says he named me Star because I was his light in the darkness. I need some light in my own darkness right about now. I wouldn't have killed Khalil, by the way. Uncle Carlos says I don't know a lot of stuff but I do know that my eyes sting and my throat tightens I've turned into such a damn crybaby I snuggle closer to Uncle Carlos and hope it says everything I can't
4: Context of White Supremacy Audio Segment Number 2 Chapter 15 that's where we we'll start after we get done with the commentary, uh, if folks would like to participate if you have questions, thoughts the number six four one seven one five three six four zero, the code five six four nine four three pound, press star six one. If you would like to participate. Number again six four one seven one five three six four zero. The code five six four nine four three pound. Press star six one if you would like to participate. If you would like to join the discussion, but you do not want to use your phone, you can use the free HD, excuse me, the free vote line to participate. It's linked at Black Talk Radio Network. If you need the address, it is tiny t i n y. dot c-c forward slash one race, and that is the number one address again. tiny t i n y. dot c-c forward slash one race and that is the number one when you go to that address look on the left of the page you'll see the link for the free vote line click that link it will open a small window on your screen the first line is a drop down menu select the number that I just gave out which again is six four one seven one five three six four zero the next line it will ask for the code, that code again, 564943. Final line, it will ask for a name. You can put in a real name, nickname, press random keys, whatever you're comfortable with. Once you get all that information entered, click the green button at the bottom. It will connect you to the live broadcast. You should be able to hear us. It is the same procedure. If you would like to participate, look on your screen. You'll see the dial pad. Press star six one. I'll see your hand and we will get you on the line. Uh, Question for listeners this week. Uh, This is something that I've been paying attention to. Uh, And so since we had kind of a big scene, big argument, right, with Maverick and and all of that, reflecting back on the author's comments that her favorite character in the book, Angie Thomas, she said her favorite character is Maverick. She wanted a strong black male figure and particularly a strong black father in a book, given what we heard this week. Put that in context with her comments about Maverick being her favorite character in the book. That's something that I've kind of kept in mind throughout. And wow, this week, well, lots to think on in my view. Uh, folks who dialed in with a hand up, lines should be open. Uh, feel free. Give me one moment a little behind with my fingers. All right, there we go. Folks who dialed in with a hand up, line should be open. Feel free. Can I be heard? Greetings, Thomas in New York. Again, shout to Ned the wino.
5: <laughs> One of my favorite episodes. Yes, sir. Um, man, I heard a reference to being black as Michelin. I thought that was interesting. I'm sure white book readers enjoyed that. Um, you know, the grandma. Did, did they say that the grandmother um got angry? When the, their
4: father
5: left and went
4: to um back to his wife and other kids uh, let me flip back here to make sure that does I believe sound accurate, not stars uh not stars oh okay yeah, not star's okay. grandmother
5: okay, then, then, never mind then either way, star's grandmother sounds like Medea. Um, just cursing up the storm and and very, um, it's not Saturday, very ratchet acting. Um, and I thought that that was interesting. Um, man, the, 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 I was thinking all week about this, um, black Jesus. And I noticed this week when the grandmother referenced Jesus, she didn't put black in front of it. Um, you know, and I just like, man, it's it doesn't matter what color you paint him, he's still white Jesus in your subconscious. That's the first Jesus, um, you know, you, you're going to remember, and, you know, that's that's always the impression you're going to have. Oh, uh, the, the, this girl is old enough to um, engage in, um, you know, finger sexual activity, but it seems like they keep a lot of racism talk away from her, uh, even though she seems very um, informed of, Um, former um, black people who were, you know, uh, considered liberation, you know, fighters. But uh, it just seems like, you know, with Uncle Carlos at first, you know, he doesn't want to tell her what's really going on. You know, they kind of want to shield her away from, you know, um, being in the spotlight, which I guess is is sort of um, normal in a way, but at the same time, this girl's in high school. Um, this isn't something that we, we should be keeping. I think that, you know, for all the years we had justice come on, um, you know, th- these are the kind of conversations you're supposed to be having. So I just feel like, um, you know, she's, she, by them keeping her, um, in my opinion, um, trying to keep her away from knowing what's going on, is really keeping the keeping her from going out and and trying to help her friend who was shot. She knows what happened, you know, telling her side of the story. So I'm glad that moment took place where Carlos, you know, kept it real with her and told her, you know, listen, you know, in his own way, you know, I punched a guy, you know, but, um, man, I think they're trying to make, make it, I I don't, I don't see too many instances where I hear of a black cop, punching a white cop because of a black person getting shot by the white cop. So, you know, I think that's a little far-fetched in my opinion. Uh, I'll mute my, oh, what was your question, Gus? I'm sorry. Uh,
4: Just what do we make of Angie Thomas's comment that Maverick is her favorite character in lieu of what we heard this week? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Let me ponder on that. I'll mute my one. Thank you always grand to take a little time to ponder. Other folks who dialed in with a hand up, if you have commentary, proceed. Can I be heard? Yes, can I be heard? Uh, do we have a female call? I heard Mr. Demi for as well.
6: No, Black male.
4: Oh, okay. Right uh, uh, I'll take Mr. Demi yeah, for. I'm to be quick.
7: Yeah, I only have uh, three things to talk about. Uh, <clears throat> First, uh, uh, before I uh, start trashing the book, I, I think it's giving you know, somewhat cartoonish, but um, she brought up the author brought up uh, some interesting points. Uh, one was uh, when Maverick, you know, found out about his daughter, uh, dating a white boy, he wasn't happy. But the response from the black females, you know, was very interesting because they seemed to accept it and embrace it for some reason. And uh, with the history that we have of uh, white men having access to to black women uh, and the rapes that's taken place over the years, you would seem that it would be, uh, you know, somewhat of the opposite on that scale. Um and then your question about Maverick, I, I believe uh Mr. Me- Neely Nearly Fuller says the black male is the most uh intimate creature on the planet and he exemplifies uh impotency, uh being forced to lay on the ground, you know, by law enforcement because of Uh, choices that he made earlier and whether they were you know uh, noble or not you know going up uh, for a drug dealer Um, you know and the whole idea about all of the cultures surrounding black people you know what black people do the emphasis on gym shoes and um, everything um, it's just cartoonish actually if you are a black person because you know i don't i'm 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 63 but i don't think that the kids are you know talking about this stuff you know uh to me uh peanut butter and graham crackers I, you know i may be wrong i may be out of it but uh it just seems like a white person is writing this book with the things that they cover and then um being surprised when haley uh comes out with her racist remarks um is just you know indicative of uh how we can see things directly in our face, but we actually re- refuse to see them, and then we're 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 kind of alienated from reality. But I'll mute my line on that, give somebody else a chance. I like listening to the comments. Thanks, Gus.
4: Take a look. Appreciate that, Mr. Demi Four. I hope things uh went well with the proceedings this past uh Wednesday and hope your wife is doing phenomenal. Uh the mail caller who spoke up simultaneously, uh thank you for yielding the floor. Did you have commentary, sir?
6: Yes, Gus. This is Kwame from the Bronx. uh um, I don't know why, um, why I, I sound like a black female on the phone. Uh, when I in person, everybody tells me I have a very deep voice, which is really, really, really strange. But I guess it's just like the the phone and and everything. Uh, what I would have to say about the book, some of the notes I took. Um, I think this book is a very, very dangerous piece of propaganda. Uh, I really dislike this book, and I, I I feel so saddened to know that so many black children are re- are re- are reading this book. Um, uh, the first note I came in around the time when um, Star called her father militant. No definition was given for that word. Um, that's when the um, that's a word that you reference a lot, Gus. <laughs> the word militant It's like no one ever really gives a definition for that word. Um, I, I, I gave that definition, a, uh, I gave that word a definition, meaning basically less confused about racism, white supremacy. Uh, uh, the, the grandmother I wrote down made a really tacky comment. She said, get your swirl on. Uh, I thought that was really, really tacky. Um, I really related to Maverick when he finally meets Chris, the racist suspect, um, how how the um stars family basically kept this information from her him because he's he is you know somewhat less confused about racism white supremacy. I really relate to that a lot because my family too um they they since I'm less confused about racism white supremacy they oftentimes hide a lot of information from me because i'm I'm known as the person that oh you know you always have something negative to say and this and that you know they think i'm really negative because i like to point out you know um racism white supremacy that that's going on the non constructive behavior that that goes on you know at times and you know a lot of times my family hides information from me because i'm so less confused about racism um chris makes a um chris the racist suspect white boyfriend he made a tacky comment he said that um, Maverick's father, after um, after Star's father leaves um, for a moment, um, and he's alone in the room with, alone in the kitchen with Star, he said, oh, your father could have killed me. I mean, like, what? I mean, how could he have killed you? I mean, I thought that was a really tacky comment. Uh, non-white people, uh, hmm, I'm sorry, I'm just looking at my notes. Uh,
5: um star's mom
6: said get over it get over the fact that she's dating uh a white a white boy again tacky
5: um
6: oh yeah i i also got the sense that uh from from this from that scene with star uh um uh, actually i'll stop right there i'll give somebody else a chance thank you gus for letting me share
4: Indeed, indeed. Uh, Other folks, and my uh, apologies, I'm a victim of white supremacy, and sometimes, you know, just with the audio, uh, you know, it might, voices might sound a little different over the phone than how they would sound in person, so, you know. Anywho, uh, much obliged, uh, Kwame in the Bronx. Uh, Other folks who dialed in that we have not heard from at all, if you have commentary, proceed.
1: Good evening can I be heard yes, sir all right, thanks for letting me share um, it's uh I've listened to quite a few uh of the book studies if on the cows um i I don't think I've ever commented on uh I guess it's something I'm a victim, and um there's something I don't know with my my brain or my concentration where I'm not able to concentrate. Too well to an uh, uh, audio book. I do much better just reading it. Um, but I would like to say to your question, um, Gus is um, I agree with Mister uh, Demery for it's uh, uh, just a display of uh, the impotence of a of the black male. Um, he has this this appearance or this exterior of you know toughness. You know, I guess he was supposed to have been a so-called uh quote-unquote thug you know did prison time i'm not sure exactly if his physical stature was described um during the uh the book uh but i imagine he's you know a a pretty big guy strong guy and uh and he has relatively no power i mean he's a he seems to be a little less confused but um he's pretty much overruled by everyone else. And, uh, and I guess the author is for her to say that that's her uh, favorite character. I don't know, I guess, uh, you know, stereotypically, you know, again, he's, he displays, his, he has this exterior or, or he appears to be, you know, strong or whatever, but really has no power. His, um, his opinion is not regarded or his his the conclusions that he's he's come to are are not regarded regarded very highly um with with the family you know particularly his wife and and everyone else so um yeah i definitely find it uh pretty uh yeah interesting that that was that's her favorite character but um yeah this whole uh, book i'll have to um ask my um offspring uh um She's a teenager. If she's read this or heard about this, but um, it's just a display, you know. the The question of, I mean, the the issue of racism, white supremacy, isn't in the forefront. It's in it's a very it's in a background, uh, so to speak, or it's it's talked about here and there. But the the thing that's in the uh, forefront are really put out there explicitly is uh, black dysfunction and black confusion about uh, racism, white supremacy, which is a dysfunction in itself. So um, that's all I see. I'll continue trying to uh, um, listen and um, maybe I'll comment um, later. Thanks for letting me share again.
4: Indeed. Thank you for the commentary. Appreciate that. Uh, Other folks who dialed in that we've not heard from uh, actually just one moment the thomas in new york was asking about uh the grandmother the tacky comment that was made that was uh star's grandmother nana but she was talking about her own husband the line uh the short little paragraph uh uncle carlos sets the beer down here's the thing nana that's the grandmother uh nana's an alcoholic she's not as bad as she used to be but all it takes is one hard drink and she's the other nana I've heard stories of her drunken rages from back in the day. She'd blame Mama and Uncle Carlos that their daddy went back to his wife and other kids. She'd lock them out of the house, cuss at them, all kinds of stuff. So that's Star's grandmother uh, talking about uh, Star's mother and Uncle Carlos and her frustrations about her, their father running off. Did that? Is that the part you were talking about, Thomas in New York? Well, he might not be able to talk, now, but I think that's the portion that he was.
5: Yes, that was. That was exactly the part. I thought it was her grandmother, and I just thought that that was, um, you know, um, to put that in about you, the the, the main character's grandmother. Um, and, you know, it kind of puts a a whole new perspective on, um, just, um, you know, her mother, you know, and, and, um, you know, just, just everything. It's, it's, her grandmother was, you know, you talk about not having a good character, a real, honestly good, pure character in this book. I mean, look at the
4: grandmother. Hmm. I'm just gonna read that those two sentences again because I, I just didn't catch the final sentence. So if I, if I did, didn't process it correctly, maybe some other people didn't process it correctly. So uh, at drunken rages, blah 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 grandmother, she'd blame Mama and Uncle Carlos that their daddy went back to his wife and other kids. She'd lock them out of the house, cuss at them, all kinds of stuff. 56 weeks and counting on the New York Times bestseller list for young adult novels. Callers, we've not heard from at all. Do you have commentary? Can I be heard? I uh, heard both of you. Uh, let's <laughs> see. We'll get. Reti- go ahead. There we go. Thank you for yielding, retired firefighter. Uh, can I be heard? Oh, great. Uh, appreciate that,
8: uh, firefighter. Split one, two from Virginia. Um, <clears throat> uh, the first thing, I took a lot of notes. Um, this chapter was very uh, interesting, to say the least. The first thing I noticed was when when the author did a comparison of a black child uh, being killed by a suspected race soldier to her courage of telling her parents that she was in a relationship with a suspected racist. At first, I thought it was highly incorrect, but then I thought about it and I said, if a black person was really writing this, I would love to know why she made that comparison. Um. I would really, really be interested in knowing specifically the, word, the use of the word courage because one is talking about a person being killed, but the other is actually talking about another person being harmed, which is in an interracial relationship. But as I further read, it's obvious that she does not believe that this is correct, or that this is incorrect, that that behavior is incorrect. Um, I thought Chris was practicing racism by acting that he was surprised that they were suspicious of him. And then my thought was confirmed when in the next sentence, she asked I asked him, well, have you told your parents about us in so many words? And he was like, yeah, we had a discussion, but we never get to hear what that discussion was. I'm pretty 99% sure that they were probably practicing racism, saying negative things about Star in the interracial relationship. The comparison he also made between Zoe Solanda and Ashton Kutcher being similar to their relationship, I thought the author's use of that particular relationship and that particular female was interesting. Um, I'm not sure how Zoe Solanda identifies herself, uh, but I just thought that was very interesting. Um This is just my perspective. Um, I'm a black male, obviously. I hope I sound like, I'm a black male. I've dated a lot of black females in my life. I have been around uh, black fathers before. And to me, the father was being challenged by the racist boyfriend, particularly when I believe, and Gus correct me if I'm wrong, Starr stated that they were holding hands. And when the dad looked at him, the white boyfriend did not let go of her hand. The reason why I brought up the fact that i dated black females before is that in all occasions, and I remember that when I was a teenager, there was a certain level of respect that I gave to a father or a mother, particularly when being intimate or any sort of physical touch, didn't matter if it was touching, holding hands or a slight kiss, that is something that you just didn't do as a show of respect. And I thought that, I'm not sure what the author's purpose was. Was it maybe to emasculate the father, or to show that Chris had power? Um, that was really, really interesting. And the fact that that was their first interaction that they ever had, uh, particularly with the father, out of all the people, finding out that you're in an interracial relationship, and that was just very, very interesting. Um, there's a writer for the Wall Street Journal named uh, Jason Wiley. And he wrote an article earlier this week about stop blaming white people and it's basically just spanking black people in the public and this book makes me feel exactly like that article. And I'll mute my line.
4: Thanks, Gus. Hmm. How about that? Uh retired firefighter, much obliged for your patience. Yes, Greetings, everyone. Um, to answer your to answer your
0: question from my uh, uh humble opinion, uh Apparently, uh, as as if uh, the end was to this book right now, uh, the favorite person of the writer is Chris. There's no doubt. It's not even close as far as that's concerned because all he has to do is say a few ums and ons and show up and 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 uh, everything is all right uh, with, with the with the uh, I was about to say the star of the book, but that actually is her name. But it, it, as far as it goes with the uh, principal character of the book, all he has to do is show up and say, and just have a few, you know single word uh, of justifications and answers, and and that's it. Everything is all right. You uh, know, he can practically do what he wants uh, as far as that's concerned. Uh, so I can't I can't see uh, uh, that uh, that uh, there, there's any evidence that that fits on her. Uh, Declaration. Number two, uh, 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 in in agree with Mr. Thomas, there is no way that a non-white person, especially a black male, uh, on the police department uh, would punch uh, a white killer on that job unless he is willing to i'm not saying it's impossible unless he is willing to make the sacrifice of getting killed himself or uh punished uh, uh, uh employment wise if he if if he survives uh uh being employed uh or being unemployed uh but because he got fired uh, and, and also, it, I mean, this this white guy would be surrounded by by white uh, uh, enforcement officials, male and female. The union would back him of uh, uh, one thousand percent. And uh, no way that that happens. Uh, it's just like it's like these these silly movies that I uh, almost force myself sometimes to sit watch. Is that you can do whatever you want when you're in the editing room. You can cut, clip, and whatever, and you can change. You can fit scenes to your, to, to your. And if you're a white person, your diabolical thoughts and perceptions on how you want to uh, propagandize uh, 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 a, a, uh, a film, or, a, or in this case, a book. Uh, number three, uh, I have here: whites were allowed to confuse. Oh yeah, and, and a lot of the things whites were allowed to confuse the victimization by stating that they they are victims sometimes when suspected when a white when a non-white person suspect them for being racist. Oh, what are you saying? That, I mean, that right there in itself becomes a fault, you know, uh, as as far as that concern. And they and and like I said, this is this is. Uh, When you brought up the idea, the the thought that this can be a white person writing, uh, I'm like becoming more and more convinced uh, of the same thing, as far as they're concerned. Uh, Every session I have here, every session uh, is dominated by anti-blackness and white validation. I mean, it's it's not even close. Uh, I mean, it's it's just confusion. Up and down between uh, non-white black people, and a lot of cases, a lot of them are not strangers. They they, they have been knowing each other. Uh, they are biologically connected. Uh, it just and then oh, and then come the white people, and oh, you know, uh, other other than this, this, the the uh, sort of the racist, uh actions and behaviors, you know, it, it's it's she doesn't dig into what how screwed up their family life is as far as being a a a, 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 a pound of racist, you know, a, a hood of racists as far as that concern. She doesn't focus on that. The right I'm talking about. Uh, number five, uh, a book like this, I hear a book like this can permanently, permanently confuse a normal person. And uh, that's that's its importance. Uh, I can see. I, I mean, we, and I don't even think we're halfway through it, as far as what I get from you. We're not, we're not even halfway through it, and, and I can see where a book like this can almost permanently confuse a non-white person, you know, because primarily it's meant for a young, a young person, as it is, and if black, black quote-unquote children are reading these, reading this book, I can see where that would, would very much confuse them. Because it is it is kind of sophisticated. It's sophisticated uh uh and, and sounds correct. Uh unless you like uh our crazy bands sitting here uh, you know uh you know uh, trying to have the nerves when we wake up in the morning and at the end of the day try to uh uh find answers to uh the global system of racial supremacy, which is not popular. Uh last but not least, uh I have here uh uh no way uh, a young black female with an understanding uh, as demonstrated by this young lady uh, uh, about, you know, the level that she had understanding of racism and on top of it, an influential father who uh, uh, mentions about some, some talking points on the system of racist white supremacy uh, uh, and is, in and in his in her life in a constructive way would, would would be bringing bringing around you know this white male you know this white male as far as they're concerned. I mean come on and and and, and last but not least this is this is this is something also that contributes to a great deal of confusion, arguing and fussing between black males. And black females over over issues like this with this this white male uh, uh uh sex offender uh that uh is involved in between uh uh our confusion, and that's all I have to say right now thank you
4: context of white supremacy do we have any other callers that we have not heard from at all? anybody we've missed completely? Can I be here? Yes, sir.
9: Hey, uh, thanks for taking the call. This is uh, Jay from St. Louis, and uh, I want to thank all the callers. I think you guys brought up a lot of stuff. And I just want to expound on what's already been put out there from other callers. Uh, propaganda is the first one that comes to mind. I think this book is a great example of white projection uh, of social dysfunction into black psyches and black communities. Um just paying attention to the language. I don't know if anybody else noticed this, but the way black people talk to each other in this book is completely different from the way white people are addressed in this book. By the same black characters that call each other um, you know, stupid. Um uh, the, the great grandmother said, Stop volunteering me for shit in front of the grandchildren, in front of this guest at the uh, Uncle Carlos's house. Devontae, the, the gangbanger who's been brought into this new house, he's not saying thank you to Maverick. He's saying, uh, what the fuck? Right? That's how we talk to each other. Right? And the mother, who's known for denigrating and being very hostile with her words, comes in to her child, tongue kissing, and her uncle's house at a time when they have visitors, and the great grandmothers are now complete disrespect. And all she can say is, <clears throat> That's all she can say, right? So Chris has never addressed the the racist best friend, never addressed, never called names, never yelled at, um, only asked to apologize. I thought thought that was interesting. Um, Characterizations of Maverick so far have been completely emasculated, and I wanted to point out, and I think somebody already did, Maverick's uh, expression of masculinity is being shattered as Chris's expression of white virtue is increasing. And, and I think the, the 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 climax is when he's uh sexually violating Maverick's daughter in the kitchen of her uncle and the mother comes in and she doesn't even address Chris for you know being out of line. She says you couldn't wait till Maverick leaves right so if Maverick was farther away, I guess it would be okay. Um I that that's just amazing to me. Um then there was the, the argument between the mother and the father, uh, Maverick, and Star's mother, which is completely out of line. And just, once again, I think it's just that expression and rejection of social dysfunction within black relationships. It seems that Maverick can't say anything without being directly challenged mm-hmm. on the spot by his wife. There's absolutely no respect for him at all as a person, um, let alone as some type of patriarch. Um, and lastly, I wanted to mention, you know, Khalil, I think Khalil, uh, I tried to mention it a couple of weeks earlier, but moral frameworks, these black characters are consistently placed outside of a framework of empathy, happened with the gangbanger, and to find out he's this liar. So, you know, just in case we were feeling sorry for him, he's a liar and a thief, and uh, now they're coming to kill him because of something he deserved, you know, something he did. And uh, Khalil, I think the same thing takes place with Khalil, with him being placed back inside of a framework of empathy as it relates to Starr. Um, she needs to be reminded by this, by Devontae, the gangbanger, that he wasn't a drug dealer. Um, that not that being that label being taken off of him to now resurrect his dead body and place him in a space where she can empathize with him again. Him knowing him wasn't enough. His life wasn't enough. But interestingly that's the same argument made when she's addressing the white people. She says like, uh, what about my family? You know, what about my family? And I'm, and I'm thinking like, how ironic, you know, he, we were just in your family's household and, you know, your great grandmother was saying, don't volunteer me for shit. And I was swirling and tongue kissing and everybody's, you know, it's just complete, complete dysfunction. So, uh, thanks for taking my call and, uh, thanks for all the, everybody calling me. I really enjoyed listening to the comments.
4: Appreciate that, Jay, in St. Louis. Uh, Any other callers that we've missed completely? Anybody that we've not heard from who had comments? Did we nab everybody? Anybody that we missed completely have commentary? Okay. Can I ask a question? Oh, yes, sir. Let's hear your question. Uh is this book
0: required reading? Uh and if it's required reading that uh are the uh student what the student would be tested or something whereas they would uh uh have to uh be
4: graded on whatever they or whether or not they read this book. It's my understanding that that is the case. Uh, I I found out about this book. Wow. It was a a black educator uh, who said that the black students at his school, they were having to read this book for class. He would see them like you see any other textbook. It would be carrying this book around, uh, reading this book. Uh, They would have to read it, talk about it the same way you would any other book, Uh, Moby Dick or the Scarlet Letter or, you know, Huckleberry Finn, anything else. Uh, And I've been saying Some schools have banned this book. I know there was one school in Texas uh, that was a big hubbub where they banned it. But uh, this book, yes, is being read in lots of schools, required reading, tests on it, book reports, uh, you know, the same way that you would dissect any other book in school. Absolutely.
10: Hmm.
0: Hmm. I wonder wonder what would take place if – the uh the uh uh opinion would be similar to what we are talking we have been talking about and probably will continue to talk about about until the end of the book uh how what kind of grade that would end up being
4: (laughs) i've said that you know that's a question that i ask, and i've said you know if we have any parents if your child had to read this book for school i know thomas in new york said his children have not had to read it yet but they will Uh, and some of our other listeners, uh, let us know if your child already read it, would love to hear, but I would love to know, you know, what does an A plus paper on this book look like? Like if you have a white female teacher, which the bulk of students have for your English class, Mm -hmm. and this is the book that you're reading for this, you know, semester or this quarter or whatever it is. What do you have to say to get an A on that? Like, I know you cannot go in and say, man, Chris is a race soldier. This is a maximum act of racist aggression. I mean, I know you cannot say that and get an A. So (laughs) what exactly can you say that – oh, we did have one caller, uh, uh, excuse me, listener. He wrote in uh, commentary. I'm enjoying the reading. I appreciate everyone's opinions. They are excellent. I do feel the book is vulgar and should be monitored by an adult if children are reading. I'm a victim that indulges lots of television. The book does remind me of The Shy and other so-called black entertainment. Donald Goen's series of books were some of my first books that I read. In school, we were never required to read anything Uh, I am 40. Thug, the hate you give, is vulgar and has some similar scenarios as Donald Goins. I have looked forward to each reading. It is a story that I can relate to. I do believe it is edited by whites due to the exaggerated cliches and branding of products. I'm traveling to St. Louis. Hey, from Ohio this weekend and will be listening to the readings with my 14 and 11 year old sons, While we drive, if you have any info about black owned restaurants and establishments in St. Louis, I would appreciate feedback. Also, Maverick Carter is the name of LeBron's LeBron James childhood friend who is now one of his business partners. If that means anything, Uh, if that means anything, I think there was a big flap. Within the last two years where LeBron's friends, I guess that would include Mr. Carter, Maverick Carter, they were labeled a posse. Uh, and that was a big flub. Uh, LeBron James himself thought that that was racist uh, using that term and said so. Uh, are we, since we if, if Jay in St. Louis is with us, maybe we can take care of that really quick and then stay on task. Uh, any black owned restaurants or establishments in the St. Louis area that you would recommend? Uh, personally, not for any victim that I care about, no. Rats. System of white supremacy. I know there is a Black museum in St. Louis. It would take me a minute to get the name, but they were struggling to get funding and looking like they might be going out of business. That, too, is the system of white supremacy. Uh, back to being on task. Uh, some of the notes that I took for this segment, the branding, I think we already talked about that, with the shoes, um, the whole scene with, when Maverick finds out that she's dating, I think Mr. Fuller talks about that a lot in terms of keeping white people's secrets. I don't think that's what Angie Thomas was trying to get at with this section that, you know, this is incorrect what this family has done to me. It's just, it's really, really pitiful Uh, that, you know, <laughs> this is, this is the favorite character this is the strong black father, and he's the only one who is totally clueless, doesn't know what's going on with his own child. That's I mean, father, and he's totally ignorant, has no idea what's going on with his own child, uh, who is almost having sexual intercourse uh, with this white dude. And then when he questions, just in my view, the way that they talked to him, uh, it was like talking to an animal like they were talking to a dog uh like she uh stars mom comes in and talks to him and it's like you know uh get out of here right now and they go outside and i mean he can't even st- i mean he's supposed to be the father man of the house as they say and he's out right now like you know the dog has had an accident in the house is being shooed away or something like it just it was just a really degrading uh scene i think a lot of y'all already touched on that uh just for me, it was really plantational that moment where Maverick comes in, they've been outside arguing. And the wife, that scene last week where I said I thought it was foreshadowing when they were talking about uh, Star's mom says, Hey, I don't want to be at Garden Heights anymore. Maverick is like he wants to be here and she's like, you know, whatever. <laughs> like I'm not and I said I think she's just going to move. I think she's going to move them and maybe not even tell him. And you know, that'll just be that. He'll be wherever and you know, just see if that happens down. I haven't read this book, so I don't know, but it it seems like that way again. Seems like it's another one where he's going to be emasculated again. Uh, and it's just it's it seems very very hollow to me to say that your favorite character and not only that, it the magnitude of the problem, unless I'm in error, I might even have to go back and replay. When Angie Thomas said, the author of this book said that Maverick was her favorite character, the audience applauded. I think she said he was her favorite character and then she was explaining that she wanted a strong black father and an audience with a what I thought was a lot of black people applauded. If they read this book, and applauded thinking, yes, this is a strong representation of black manhood. Wow. And I mean, these were not children. These were people that, well, these were not people that were below the age of 18. I'll put it that way. Uh, If you have a sizable number of black people, I think I said this last week, who read this and think that this is great, who read this and think that this is helping them get a better grasp of racism, who read this and think that, yes, I have read something I have read something where I got a strong image of black fatherhood. Wow. The problem of racism, white supremacy is enormous. <laughs> wow. Confusion, astronomically widespread, which I've been saying is the case for a long time. Uh, let's see. The portion, the food, just to say something about that again, everything they eat is bad. In the I think the best that I've heard in the book is graham crackers and peanut butter. I think that's about the best that we've got so far. It's been Chinese food, pizza, and not just a slice of pizza. They had Star eating five slices of pizza. It was pancakes. He's complaining this week because they didn't have soda in the house. It's just horrible food. And again, cannot be minimized. The author morbidly OB or at least the person that is attributed uh, the person that they say is the author of the book uh, morbidly obese like in my I mean you could just look at images uh, more than 50 pounds over what I think would be a healthy body weight in a state she's from Mississippi or she was born in Mississippi a state notorious for poor health particularly for black people um, let's see the whole commentary where Chris talks about Haley feeling guilty and white guilt uh, and then the week just the tackiness of it. I've said that before. There's no such thing. Particularly when you take that commentary from Chris and then you fast forward to when Star goes to Haley and or she goes to Maya's house to see Haley and Maya. Does Haley seem like she's guilty? Does it seem like she's functioning like, oh man, I feel so bad about making that fried chicken comment and walking out protesting over that nigger that got shot just so that we could get out of class. I feel so bad, man. I want to repent. Did it sound like? I mean, come on. And that scene for me it was difficult because what I was thinking the whole time is, why is she with these girls? Like what? I mean. What is the appeal? Every time that she's around them, they say something racist. They do something racist. Like, what is the point of hanging out with the? I mean, it's not like she's having a good time. They're not having fun every time. It it ends in an argument where they're ch- like, "Oh man, what's wrong with you? I just why are you continuing to hang out with these folks?" I don't. I I would be curious to know if that was her experience because I think the author said some of this, you know, was her experience being a black student in a predominantly white school. Was this her experience hanging out with white students, white girls, where every experience was trauma and abuse and them being racist every time? Was that her experience? And still hanging out with these people? Um, Let's see. Yeah, I thought it was very plantational. And when I say plantational, uh, meaning black people in the older era of white supremacy not being able to do anything about white terrorism including sexual terrorism uh and so having to watch family members black males being raped black females being raped it felt eerily similar uh when Maverick is Chris is there in uh Uncle Carlos's house no less holding her hand and uh and the daughter even registers this as a point for him uh if we're playing a game or something Maverick has, again, our favorite character has lost uh, if we're playing a game or at least he's behind way behind in points, in my opinion. Uh, Let's see. I thought that was a great point about uh, the mom's subdued reaction to all of this, where she's been in a rage and fussing at black people, (laughs) Maverick, everybody else, the entire book. And this white child can come in the house and slob down her daughter and yeah. Uh, the commentary I mentioned, guess who's coming to dinner last week when I was mentioning the array of films and how tacky and cliche this book is. I said, wow, they, for them to come back and mention that very movie, even though they mentioned the updated version of it, guess who with Bernie Mac it's the same, uh, movie, same title, same premise, uh, quote-unquote interracial uh, dating. I, just, I point for Gus T because I did mention that last week and then for them to bring it up right in line in terms of the tackiness and cliche. I said they just went through and picked out all of the popular Negro genre films, books, television series from about the last 40, 50 years and name-dropped or included them uh, throughout the text. Uh, let's see. I will... Uh, I thought it was a slick way of them calling a black female a bitch in the text where uh, Haley says Star's been in bitch mode uh, for weeks and wants to blame me Uh, standard race. I thought I said that before. I thought they've had just slick ways where they could call a black person a nigger and get away with it in the text. And you got bitch in here this week. Uh, I will stop there. I thought it could have been more in terms of Uncle Carlos to have a Black male character who was not empathizing with Khalil at first, and then he switches around. I I totally agree, totally unrealistic. He would be dead, uh, Khalil, if he had, you know, done such a thing in real life. But I thought that was great, at least in a fictional world. He could stick up for, for her and, you know, do a little counter violence on the job, that sort of thing. But There's just so much trash uh, around that that it really minimized something that could have been really great, like a great illustration of black masculinity. And even when I think of Uncle Carlos now, I feel like he's he is a participant in the treachery because he knew about uh, the white race soldier, Chris, but he didn't tell the father. And I even think there's something massively incorrect about Uncle Carlos being referred to as two dads she said that she doesn't know you don't have two dads he's not your dad he's your uncle I thought that was just further emasculation of Maverick uh he's not even a whole dad he's about a half of a dad we'll stop there and we'll get to the second audio segment if you have additional commentary uh just make notes and we will get to it after the second segment concludes we are on chapter 15 great counter-racist study trash text the thing that you know I think about the whole time Lots and lots of young black children are being required, not just reading this book, required to read this book. Context of white supremacy. This is allegedly Angie Thomas's The Hate You Give audio segment number two. Fifteen.
2: It takes an untouched stack of pancakes for mama to say. All right, munch. What's up? We have a table to ourselves in IHOP. It's early morning, and the restaurant's almost empty, except for us and these big-bellied, bearded truckers stuffing their faces in a booth. Thanks to them, country music plays on the jukebox. I poke my fork at my pancakes. Not real hungry. Somewhat a lie. Somewhat the truth. I'm having a serious emotional hangover. There's that interview, Uncle Carlos, Haley, Khalil, Devante, my parents. Mama, Sakani, and I spent the night at Uncle Carlos' house. And I know it was more because Mama's mad at Daddy than it was about the riots. In fact, the news said last night was the first semi-peaceful night in the garden. Just protests, no riots. Cops were still throwing tear gas, though. Anyway, if I bring up my parents' fight, Mama's going to tell me, stay out of grown folks' business. You'd think since it's partially my fault they fought, it is my business. But nope. I don't know who's supposed to believe that you're not hungry, Mama says. You've always been greedy. I roll my eyes and yawn. She got me up too early and said we were going to IHOP, just the two of us, like we used to do before Sakani came along and ruined everything. He has an extra uniform at Uncle Carlos's and can go to school with Daniel. I only had some sweats and a Drake T-shirt, not DA office appropriate. I gotta go home and change. Thanks for bringing me here, I say. With my awful mood, I owe her that. Anytime, baby. We haven't hung out in a while. Somebody decided I wasn't cool anymore. I thought I was still cool, so whatever. She sips from her steaming mug of coffee. Are you scared to talk to the D.A.? Not really. Although I do notice the clock is only three and a half hours away from our 9.30 meeting. Is it that B.S. of an interview? That bastard? Here we go again. Mama... Got his damn daddy going on TV telling lies, she says. And who's supposed to believe a grown man was that scared of two children? People on the Internet are saying the same thing. Black Twitter's been going in on Officer Cruz's dad, claiming his name should be Tom Cruz with that performance he put on. Tumblr, too. I'm sure there are people who believe him. Haley did. But Miss Ofra was right. It backfired. Folks who never met me or Khalil are calling BS. So while the interview bothers me, it doesn't bother me that much. It's not really the interview, I say. It's other stuff, too. Like? Khalil, I say. Devante told me some stuff about him, and I feel guilty. Stuff like what? She says. Why he sold drugs? He was trying to help Miss Brenda pay a debt to King. Mama's eyes widen. What? Yeah. And he wasn't a King lord. Khalil turned King down, and King's been lying to save face. Mama shakes her head. Why am I not surprised? King would do some mess like that. I stare at my pancakes. I should have known better. Should have known Khalil better. You had no way of knowing, baby, she says. That's the thing. If I would have been there for him, I couldn't have stopped him. Khalil was almost as stubborn as you. I know you cared about him a lot, even as more than a friend. But you can't blame yourself for this. I look up at her. What you mean cared about him is more than a friend. Don't play dumb, Star. Y'all liked each other for a long time. You think he liked me, too? Lord, Mama rolls her eyes. Between the two of us, I'm the old one. You just called yourself old. Older one, she corrects and shoots me a quick stank eye. And I saw it. How in the world did you miss it? I don't know. He always talked about other girls, not me. It's weird, though. I thought I was over my crush, but sometimes I don't know. Mama traces the rim of her mug. Munch, she says, and it's followed by a sigh. Baby, look, you're grieving, okay? That can amplify your emotions, and make you feel things you haven't felt in a long time. Even if you do have feelings for Khalil, there's nothing wrong with that. Even though I'm with Chris? Yes. You're 16. You're allowed to have feelings for more than one person. So you're saying I can be a hoe? Girl, she points at me, don't make me kick you under this table. I'm saying... Don't beat yourself up about it. Grieve Khalil all you want. Miss him. Allow yourself to miss what could have been. Let your feelings get out of whack. But like I told you, don't stop living. All right? All right. Good. So that's two things, she says. What else is up? What isn't up? My head is tight like my brain is overloaded. I'm guessing emotional hangovers feel a lot like actual hangovers. Haley, I say. She slurps her coffee. Loudly. What'd that little girl do now? Here she goes with this. Mama, you've never liked her. No, I've never liked how you have followed her like you can't think for yourself. Different. I haven't, don't lie. Remember that drum set you begged me to buy? Why did you want it, Star? Haley wanted to start a band, but I liked the idea, too. Hold up, though. Didn't you tell me you wanted to play guitar in this band? But Haley said you should play drums. Yeah, but... Them little Jonas boys, she says. Which one did you really like? Joe? But who said you should be with the curly-headed one instead? Haley, but Nick was still fine as all get out, and this is middle school stuff. Uh Uh-huh. Last year, you begged me to let you color your hair purple. Why, Star? I wanted... No. Why, Star? She says. The real why. Damn, there's a pattern here. Because Haley wanted me, her, and Maya to have matching hair. Exact, damnly. Baby, I love you, but you have a history of putting your wants aside and doing whatever that little girl wants. Excuse me if I don't like her. With all my receipts put out there like that, I say, I can see why. Good. Realizing is the first step. So what's she do now? We had an argument yesterday, I say. Really, though, things have been weird for a while. She stopped texting me and unfollowed my Tumblr. Mama reaches her fork onto my plate and breaks off a piece of pancake. What is Tumblr, anyway? Is it like Facebook? No. And you're forbidden to get one. No parents allowed. You guys already took over Facebook. You haven't responded to my friend request yet. I know. I need Candy Crush Lives. That's why I'll never respond. She gives me the look. I don't care. There are some things I absolutely refuse to do. So, she unfollowed your Tumblr thingy, Mama says, proving why she can never have one. Is that all? No, she said and did some stupid stuff, too. I rub my eyes. Like I said, it's too early. I'm starting to wonder why we're friends. Well, Munch, she gets another freaking piece of my pancakes. You have to decide if the relationship is worth salvaging. Make a list of the good stuff, then make a list of the bad stuff. If one outweighs the other... Then you know what you gotta do. Trust me, that method hasn't failed me yet. Is that what you did with Daddy after Aisha got pregnant? I ask. Cause I'll be honest, I would have kicked him to the curb. No offense. It's alright. A lot of people called me a fool for going back to your Daddy. Shoot, they may still call me a fool behind my back. Your Nana would have a stroke if she knew this, but she's the real reason I stayed with your Daddy. I thought Nana hated Daddy. I think Nana still hates Daddy. Sadness creeps into Mama's eyes, but she gives me a small smile. When I was growing up, your grandmother would do and say hurtful things when she was drunk and apologize the next morning. At an early age, I learned that people make mistakes, and you have to decide if their mistakes are bigger than your love for them. She takes a deep breath. Seven's not a mistake. I love him to death. But Maverick made a mistake in his actions. However, all of his good and the love we share outweighs that one mistake. Even with crazy Aisha in our lives, I ask. Mama chuckles. Even with crazy, messy, annoying Aisha. It's a little different, yeah. But if the good outweighs the bad, keep Haley in your life, baby. That might be the problem. A lot of the good stuff is from the past. The Jonas Brothers, high school musical, our shared grief. Our friendship is based on memories. What do we have now? What if the good doesn't outweigh the bad? I ask. Then let her go, Mama says. And if you keep her in your life and she keeps doing the bad, let her go. Because I promise you, had your daddy pulled some mess like that again, I'd be married to Idris Elba and saying, Maverick who? I bust out laughing. Now eat, she says, and hands me her fork. Before I have no choice but to eat these pancakes for you. I'm so used to seeing smoke in Garden Heights. It's weird when we go back and there isn't any. It's dreary because of a late night storm, but we can ride with the windows down. Even though the riot stopped, we pass as many tanks as we pass low riders. But at home, smoke greets us at the front door. Maverick, Mama hollers, and we hurry toward the kitchen. Daddy pours water on a skillet at the sink, and the skillet responds with a loud sizzle and a white cloud. Whatever he burned, he burned it bad. Hallelujah! Seven throws his hands up at the table. Somebody who can actually cook. Shut up, Daddy says. Mama takes the skillet and examines the unidentifiable remains. What was this? Eggs? Glad to see you know how to come home, he says. He walks right by me without a glance or a good morning. He's still pissed about Chris? Mama gets a fork and stabs at the charred food stuck to the skillet. He wants some breakfast, seven, baby? He watches her and goes, Um, nah. By the way, the skillet didn't do anything, Ma. You're right, she says, but she keeps stabbing. Seriously, I can fix you something. Eggs, bacon. She looks toward the hall and shouts, The pork kind? Pig? Swine? All of that. So much for the good outweighing the bad. Seven and I look at each other. We hate when they fight because we always get stuck in the middle of their wars. Our appetites are the greatest casualty. If Mama's mad and not cooking... We have to eat Daddy's struggle meals, like spaghetti with ketchup and hot dogs in it. I'll grab something at school. Seven kisses her cheek. Thanks, though. He gives me a fist bump on his way out, the Seven way of wishing me good luck. Daddy returns, wearing a backwards cap. He grabs his keys and a banana. We have to be at the DA's office at 9.30, Mama says. Are you coming? Oh. Carlos can't do it, since he the one y'all let in on secrets and stuff. You know what, Maverick? I'll be there, he says, and leaves. Mama stabs the skillet some more. The D.A. personally escorts us to a conference room. Her name is Karen Monroe, and she's a middle-aged white lady who claims she understands what I'm going through. Ms. Ofra is already in the conference room along with some people who work at the DA's office. Ms. Monroe gives a long speech about how much she wants justice for Khalil and apologizes that it's taken this long for us to meet. Twelve days, to be exact, Daddy points out. Too long, if you ask me. Ms. Monroe looks a bit uncomfortable at that. She explains the grand jury proceedings. Then she asks about that night. I pretty much tell her what I told the cops, except she doesn't ask any stupid questions about Khalil. But when I get to the part when I describe the number of shots, how they hit Khalil in his back, the look on his face, my stomach bubbles, bile pools in my mouth, and I gag. Mama jumps up and grabs a garbage bin. She puts it in front of me quick enough to catch the vomit that spews from my mouth. And I cry and puke. Cry and puke. It's all I can do. The DA gets me a soda and says, That'll be all today, sweetie. Thank you. Daddy helps me to Mama's car, and people in the halls gawk. I bet they know I'm the witness from my teary, snotty face and are probably giving me a new name. Poor thing. As in, oh, that poor thing. That makes it worse. I get in the car away from their pity and rest my head against the window, feeling like shit. Mama parks in front of the store and Daddy pulls up behind us. He gets out his truck and comes to Mama's side of the car. She rolls her window down. I'm going to the school, she tells him. They need to know what's going on. Can she stay with you? Yeah, that's fine. She can rest in the office. Another thing puking and crying gets you. People talk about you like you're not there and make plans for you. Poor thing apparently can't hear. You sure? Mama asks him. Or do I need to take her to Carlos? Daddy sighs. Lisa... Maverick, I don't give a flying monkey's ass what your problem is. Just be there for your daughter. Please? Daddy moves to my side of the car and opens the door. Come here, baby. I climb out, blubbering like a little kid who skinned her knee. Daddy pulls me into his chest. Rubbing my back and kissing my hair, Mama drives off. I'm sorry, baby. He says The crying, the puking don't mean anything anymore. My daddy's got me. We go in the store. Daddy turns on the lights but keeps the closed sign in the window. He goes to his office for a second, then comes back to me and holds my chin. Open your mouth, he says. I open it, and his face scrunches up. Ew We gotta get you a whole bottle of mouthwash. "'About to raise the dead with that breath.' I laugh with tears in my eyes. Like I said, Daddy's talented that way. He wipes my face with his hands, which are rough as sandpaper, but I'm used to them. He frames my face. I smile. "'There go my baby,' he says. "'You'll be all right.' I feel normal enough to say, "'Now I'm your baby?' You haven't been acting like it. Don't start. He goes down the medicine aisle, sounding like your mama. I'm just saying. You've been extra salty today. He returns with a bottle of Listerine. Here, before you kill my produce with your breath. Like you killed those eggs this morning? Hey, those were blackened eggs. Y'all don't know about that. Nobody knows about that. A couple of rinses in the restroom transform my mouth from a swamp of puke residue to normal. Daddy waits on the wooden bench at the front of the store. Our older customers who can't walk much usually sit there as Daddy, Seven, or I get their groceries for them. Daddy pats the spot next to him. I sit. You gonna open back up soon? In a little bit. What you see in that white boy? Damn, I wasn't expecting him to go right into it. Besides the fact that he's adorable, I say, and Daddy makes a gagging sound, he's smart, funny, and he cares about me a lot. You got a problem with black boys? No, I've had black boyfriends. Three of them. One in fourth grade, although that doesn't really count, and two in middle school, which don't count either, because nobody knows shit about a relationship in middle school, or about anything, really. What? he says. I ain't know about them. Because I knew you'd act crazy, put a hit on them or something. You know, that ain't a bad idea. Daddy! I smack his arm as he cracks up. Did Carlos know about them? he asks. No. He would have ran background checks on them or arrested them. Not cool. So why you tell him about the white boy? I didn't tell him, I say. He found out. Chris lives down the street from him, so it was harder to hide. And let's be real here, Daddy. I've heard the stuff you've said about interracial couples. I didn't want you talking about me and Chris like that. Chris, he mocks. What kind of plain-ass name is that? He's so petty. Since you want to ask me questions, do you have a problem with white people? Not really. Not really? Hey, I'm being honest. My thing is girls usually date boys who are like their daddies. And I ain't gonna lie. When I saw that white... Chris, he corrects, and I smile. I got worried. Thought I turned you against black men or... Didn't set a good example of a black man. I couldn't handle that. I rest my head on his shoulder. Nah, Daddy. You haven't set a good example of what a black man should be. You've set a good example of what a man should be. Duh. Duh. He mocks and kisses the top of my head. My baby. A gray BMW comes to a sudden stop in front of the store. Daddy nudges me off the bench. Come on. He pulls me to his office and shoves me in. I catch a glimpse of King getting out the BMW before Daddy closes the door in my face. Hand shaking, I crack open the door. Daddy stands guard in the entrance of the store. His hand drifts to his waist, his peace. Three other King Lords hop out the BMW, but Daddy calls out, Nah. If you want to talk, we do this alone. King nods at his boys. They wait beside the car. Daddy steps aside and King lumbers in. I'm ashamed to admit it, but I don't know if Daddy stands a chance against King. Daddy isn't skinny or short, but compared to King, who's pure muscle at six feet, he looks tiny. It's damn near blasphemous to think like that, though. Where he at? King asks. Where who at? You know who. Vonte. How am I supposed to know? Daddy says. He was working here, wasn't he? For a day or two, yeah. I ain't seen him today. King paces and points his cigar at Daddy. Sweat glistens on the rolls of fat on the back of his head. You lying. Why I gotta lie, King? All the shit I did for you, King says, and this how you repay me? Where he at, big man? I don't know. Where he at? King yells. I said I don't know. He asked me for a couple hundred dollars the other day. I told him he had to work for it, so he did. I had some mercy and paid it all up front like a dumbass. He was supposed to come in today and didn't. End of story. Why he need money from you when he stole five G's from me? Hell if I know, Daddy says. If I find out you lying, you ain't got to worry about that. Got too many problems of my own. Oh, yeah, I know about your problems, King says, a laugh bubbling from him. I heard star, star, the witness they been talking about on the news. Hope she know to keep her mouth shut when she's supposed to. What the hell is that supposed to mean? These cases are always interesting, King says. They dig for information, shit. They try to find out more about the person who died than the person who shot them. Make it seem like a good thing they got killed. They already saying Khalil sold drugs. That can mean problems for anybody who may have been involved in his hustle. So people got to be careful when they talking to the D.A. Wouldn't want them to be in danger because they ran their mouth. Nah, Daddy says. The folks who were involved in the hustle need to be careful about what they say or even think about doing. There are several agonizing seconds of Daddy and King staring each other down. Daddy's hand is at his waist like it's glued there. King leaves pushing the door hard enough to nearly break the hinges, the bell clanging wildly. He gets in his BMW. His minions follow, and he peels out, leaving the truth behind. He's gonna mess me up if I rat on him. Daddy sinks onto the old people's bench. His shoulders slump, and he takes a deep breath. We close early and pick up dinner from Ruben's. During the short drive home, I notice every car behind us, especially if it's gray. I won't let him do anything to you, Daddy says. I know, but still. Mama's beating the hell out of some steaks when we get home. First the skillet and now red meat. Nothing in the kitchen is safe. Daddy holds up the bags for her to see. I got dinner, baby. It doesn't stop her from beating the steaks. We all sit around the kitchen table, but it's the quietest dinner in Carter family history. My parents aren't talking. Seven's not talking. I'm definitely not talking. Or eating. Between the disaster at the DA's office and King, my ribs and baked beans look disgusting. Sicani can't sit still, like he's itching to give every detail of his day. I guess he can tell nobody's in the mood. Bricks chomps and slobbers over some ribs in his corner. Afterward, Mama collects our plates and silverware. All right, guys, finish your homework. And don't worry, Star, your teachers gave me yours. Why would I worry about that? Thanks. She starts to pick up Daddy's plate, but he touches her arm. Nah, I got it. He takes all of the plates from her, dumps them in the sink, and turns the water on. Maverick, you don't have to do that. He squirts way too much dishwashing liquid in the sink. He always does. It's cool. What time you gotta be at the clinic in the morning? I'll be off again tomorrow. I have a job interview. Daddy turns around. Another one? Another one? Yeah. Mark a memorial again. That's where Aunt Pam works, I say. Yeah, her dad is on the board and recommended me. It's the pediatrics nursing manager. This is my second interview for it, actually. They want some of the higher-ups to interview me this time. Baby, that's amazing, Daddy says. That means you're close to getting it, huh? Hopefully, she says. Pam thinks it's as good as mine. Why didn't you guys tell us? Seven asks. Because it's none of y'all business, Daddy says. And we didn't want to get your hopes up, Mama adds. It's a competitive position. How much does it pay? Seven's rude self asks. More than what I make at the clinic. Six figures. Six, Seven and I say. Mama's going to be a millionaire. Sakani shouts. I swear he doesn't know anything. Six figures is the hundred thousand, Sakani, I say. Oh, it's still a lot. What time is your interview? Daddy asks. Eleven. Okay, good. He turns around and wipes a plate. We can look at some houses before you go to it. Mama's hand goes across her chest and she steps back. What? He looks at me, then at her. I'm getting us out of Garden Heights, baby. You got my word. The idea is as crazy as a four-point shot. Living somewhere other than Garden Heights? Yeah, right. I'd never believe it if it wasn't Daddy saying it. Daddy never says something unless he means it. King's threat must have really got to him. He scrubs the skillet that Mama stabbed this morning. She takes it from him, sets it down, and grabs his hand. Don't worry about that. I told you it's cool. I can get the dishes. Forget the dishes. And she pulls him to their bedroom and closes the door. Suddenly, their TV blares real loud, and Jodeci sings over it from the stereo. If that woman ends up with a fetus in her uterus, I will be completely done. Done. Ew, man, Seven says, knowing the deal, too. They're too old for that. Too old for what? Sakani asks. Nothing, Seven and I say together. You think Daddy meant that, though? I ask Seven. We're moving? He twists one of his dreads at the root. I don't think he realizes he's doing it. Sounds like y'all are especially if Ma gets this job. Y'all, I say, you're not staying in Garden Heights. I mean, I'll visit, but I can't leave my mama and my sister star. You know that. Your mama put you out, Sakani says. Where else you gonna go, stupid? Who you calling stupid? Seven sticks his hand under his armpit, then rubs it in Sakani's face. The one time he did it to me, I was nine. He got a busted lip, and I got a whooping. You're not going to be at your mama's house anyway, I say. You're going away to college, hallelujah, thank black Jesus. Seven raises his brows. You want an armpit hand, too? And I'm going to Central Community so I can stay at my mama's house and watch out for my sisters. That stings a little. I'm his sister, too, not just them. House, I repeat. You never call it home. Yeah, I do, he says. No, you don't. Yeah. Shut the hell up, I end that argument. Ooh, Sakani holds his hand out. Give me my dollar. Hell no, I say. That shit doesn't work with me. Three dollars. Okay, fine. I'll give you a three dollar bill. I've never seen a three dollar bill he says. Exactly. And you'll never see my three dollars.
4: Context of white supremacy. Uh, So that is the end of part one of the book. Next week, we will pick up, we'll be on chapter 16. So we'll be the beginning of part two, chapter 16. And we will be Oh, yeah, we are beyond the halfway point of the book. uh in fact, I would say we are about two thirds of the way through the text. We've been making pretty good time, about two thirds of the way through the text, a little bit more, so chapter sixteen for next Friday number again, six four one seven one five three six four zero code five six, four, nine, four, three pound press star six one if you would like to participate everybody who dialed in with a hand up line should be open if we have anybody that we've not heard from at all uh, you should go ahead have your hand up right now please do not wait until the last minute. All the folks who dialed in with a hand up line should be open proceed. Can I be heard? Yes, sir.
6: Um, hi, guys. This is Kwame again from the Bronx. Um, I just wanted to finish my commentary from the first section um, about the tragic arrangement scene um, from the first part of the reading. Um, there was no explanation about why, um, this, their tra- the tragic arrangement between Chris and Starr was incorrect. And, um, it it was some parts um, that were allu- there was some it was, of course the father and and um, the other family members were alluding to why the um, alluding to the incorrectness of the tragic arrangement, but there was no explanation as to why it was cor- incorrect. And I think black children that's that that's reading this book will be fed the lie that non-white people can be racist too, and that you know that uh, cliche. Um, um argument that's already been disproven time and time again. And uh I just wanted to say also that there's a lot of contrast programming in the book. Um every black male character has like a serious character flaw. They're either dead, drug dealers, gang members, sleeping around, emasculated. It's like so much and while the um while the racist suspect, Chris, is presented as being this innocent, gentle, and, and you know, basically perfect person throughout the text. And uh, that's um, pretty much it uh, uh, about from the first section. And I'll make some other comments about the second section later on. Thank you for taking my call.
4: Indeed. Other folks, if you have commentary... Line should be open. Proceed. Can I be heard? Yes, sir. Uh, yeah,
9: Jay from St. Louis again. I wanted to uh, just uh, point out some things I noticed. I think language was very important again. Um, the way the black people talk to each other. The dad comes in almost in a very comedic way. I feel like uh, there's a show on BET uh, some years back that The interaction in the family kitchen reminds me of he comes in all comedically and perfectly timed, telling his child to shut up, you know, and uh, they curse at each other. And, you know, that, like what Star was saying before we stopped, that type of shit doesn't work with me. And just a lot of foul, nasty language. Um, uh, Her and the mother have a very interesting relationship. And, uh, you know, I want to make sure I attribute this to what I think it is, which is a projection of black dysfunction. But in their particular case it takes this kind of relationship where the mother is tuned in to all of the gossip but none of the substance of star's life as a victim of trauma. Um most of what they talked about seemed to be kind of fluff materialism and you know, boyfriends and just, you know, things that are important, but the crux of the issue is never, never dealt with. Then there's the deception with the father, um, just lie to him. We don't agree with what he has to say. So we'll just, you know, make, make something up or just not let him know. And then, uh, there's the nutricide uh, term I use, but there's the assault on black people through our food. And that continued as well. That was a continuing trend. Um, that i noticed and uh, lastly i think there's the demonization of black males which is something the last caller brought up i think it was a good observation and i noticed that you know khalil's resurrection his dead body being resurrected into a moral space of empathy is has been predicated on this demonization of king as this big uh savage brute beast, uh, you know, describes his physical characteristics and it's just really terrible, terrible things. Uh, Thanks for taking my call.
4: Appreciate that. He was the one King that was referred to in the first segment as the, uh, like a black Michelin man. Uh, People don't know what that, that's why I talk about metaphors. Uh, People don't know what that is. Michelin man uh, is the, I don't know, the logo or the mascot, for michelin which is a tire company and their mascot it was it was like a a stack of tires so if you can imagine a stack of tires that has been uh anthropomorphized i think is how they say it into a person uh that walks and talks but it would be like a big round tires big round tubby person so uh king is the black michelin man as described in the first segment by ned the wino uh any other folks that we've not heard from Did we miss anybody? Any folks have any additional commentary? Yes, Mr. Mr. Demery for.
7: Uh, yes. Uh, from the last reading, I didn't get to say that um, an instance of uh, uh, the uh, racism of white supremacy. When they, she noticed the cross around the, uh, excuse me, the racist cop's neck. And then she wondered if, uh, if I can remember correctly, I think she said she wanted uh, uh, something about Jesus, um, how he felt. Uh, Not understanding that the religion of white supremacy trumps um, any belief system that uh, she might have or that she believes that uh, white people uh, believe in. Um, again, um, uh, emasculating uh, Maverick <clears throat> um, from the mother, and it's almost like uh, she's giving him an ultimatum. You know, to move the family out of that particular area, or she's going to leave. And it looks like at the end, uh, he's giving in. He's moving her I, but I thought it was also interesting that the, the way King was talking to him, someone that had went to prison for you, you know, and you could have went for life and he took the fall for you four or five years and you're gonna talk to him like that. I you know, it's just I don't know, it uh, something about the flow just doesn't jive. And um um I think that's that's all I can think of now. I I mute my line, thank you
4: religion can be heard? of white supremacy. Retired firefighter, yes sir, we can hear you.
0: Yes, I I I uh over this over the last reading I made a point over the uh very superficial justification for uh being intimate with a white person, uh the very superficial reasoning is almost like the only difference uh with uh the uh white racist male and uh the her father is pigmentation. <laughs> That's the it that it, it, it gave off that that, that uh, uh, thought to me, that that's the only difference between the two. And, uh, uh, as I mentioned, uh, and, and, uh, she mentioned about something about, uh, uh, he's, I don't know. I don't know if she said thoughtful, but something close to being thoughtful. And, you know, a lot of surface, a lot of surface justification, uh, people, because it actually would, would, uh, Influence a whole lot of uh, young non-white black people, and I can see where it would actually, under the condition that non-white black people are in, it would actually uh, be accepted by their uh, 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 pretended parents. It would be accepted by it. Uh, I can see. I can see a, a. I can see a situation under the confusion that. That we're under where a black parent would actually read the book and say mm, okay well it's a little bit rough in some places but mm, it, it, it's actually a point for my my 17 my, my year old or my 15 year old uh, son or daughter it actually would make a good point you know i could actually see that unfortunately i'm not saying i would like to see it but i can see where it actually would be accepted uh because there's a there's a saying that I heard a long time ago that the best lies, the best lies, uh, out of 100 percent, probably 60 percent of it is the truth, <laughs> and that that's what that's what convinces uh, a person about a, a lie being the truth is that it does have some truths mixed into it, you know, and uh, it's, it's it's amazing, it, uh, it's amazing as far as. Uh, I never heard of anything like this book, uh, but I'm not surprised. Uh, in the schools, I can see where they, it would be a very, very powerful uh, 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 demonstrative instrument, and I can I can see a situation where especially black females would endorse such a uh, such a book because even with the relationship that she has with those white females, they're like beating the crap out of her. From a standpoint of psychologically, you know, mentally, uh, even even on this on on the subject of race and white supremacy, they're they're like just whooping her real good, you know, almost every occasion when that that's basically if the if the contact the verbal contact that he has uh, with them, you know, them practicing racism and. And getting away with it at the same time, but then find themselves though I'm the victim, you're not the victim of it, I'm the victim you know that they're saying to her, you know as far as they're concerned, and it's, it's like over and over again, almost in every session, and that's that those are my thoughts for for uh this evening. Thank you
4: appreciate that retired firefighter uh, other folks that uh had commentary they wanted to get in, please do not wait until the last minute. We have about fifteen minutes left in the broadcast. If you think you have a question, comments you want to get in, go ahead, get your hand up now. Uh, in fact, uh since we have not heard from Ivy at all, uh Ivy, if you are with us, proceed.
10: Yes, greetings Gus. Greetings to all the callers and listeners on the line. Um I wanted to uh bring up what uh Kwame was saying, you know, he doesn't know why sometimes he gets uh mistaken uh, as a woman, I don't think it's because you are on the phone. I think you sound like a man, uh, even on the phone. I think two times that I've heard you being mistaken for a woman is when you and several other men on the line were saying "now be heard all at the same time. And I think that your voice is um, as deep as it is. It's um, the other men on the line, they, their voices are, much heavier than yours because they're much older than you. And I think you said that you were um, in your early 20s. Um, I think you may have said 21. And I think that the majority of the men on the line, that they have they' at least 10 years older than you. So I think that's the reason. Um, you don't sound like a, a woman at all. You sound like a man. And I think when you come in and ask me, you be heard when you say it by yourself versus with the other men whose voices are much heavier than yours or older than you, that mistake does not happen the only other thing that I wanted to say was, excuse me, the the two sentences that you read, Gus, um, I, I think it was something about the grandma or someone who was a drunk or something. And it's that she blamed that on somebody leaving her or whatever. I think the, the blame um, part, I think that that was planted there. And I think that whole part uh white people wrote, because it's like us saying uh, whatever white people, you know, murder a bunch of people and commit a mass murder, that they blame mental illness or when they practice racism in any, in any kind of way, they blame that they were raised in a um racist society. So I think that that, that was a point, um by white people to uh, degrade us, of course, and to, I guess, take away any type of sympathy that someone would have Um, If we were to do something that is immoral, like, uh, you know, over drink or whatever the case may be, whereas interesting thing about them is that, you know, they're, first of all, the the main people who, you know, drink too much. And then, you know, when they do, there are a whole lot of reasons that are given. And, um, you know, nobody says that they're blaming this or that or whatever everybody has a lot of empathy for them so i think that just that blame part that that was a, a plan and it really does speak to gus what you said about how white people um wrote this book and i'll move my life thanks uh everyone for listening thanks gus
4: appreciate that ivy uh appreciate the commentary about uh the caller's uh voice the mistakes there as well uh any other folks have comments that they wanted to get in, uh, before we conclude, we have about 10 minutes. Uh, any other folks have commentary?
6: Hello. Can I be heard? Yes, sir. Yes. Uh, thanks Ivy for the commentary. Uh, no offense, Gus. Um, yeah, I, I didn't think it personally, of course, you know, people sound different on the phone all the time. Uh, I just wanted to say, about like, the hypocrisy and confusion of Star is just really nauseating. It's, and it's it's borderline insane. Like I remember from the first reading, Star um um Star's friend um Haley a white friend quote unquote um she she talked about Star posts all this pro black stuff on her Tumblr page, and you know posting about the Black Panthers and Fred Hampton and all this stuff. But she still dates white boys. I mean, like, it's just the insanity and the hypocrisy of it. It's just, I don't, I can't still have, I can't wrap my head around it. Like, I see this all the time. And, of course, we know this pattern. Like, a lot of black people who who have all these, quote-unquote, pro-black views and talk about all these black issues, but yet they go home every night to a white woman or they go home every night to a white man. It's like it's so insane. I don't understand well, if you don't understand racism, white supremacy, what it is and how it works, everything else that you understand will only confuse you. But I I still can't it's like it does not compute in my brain computer how you you have such an understanding of racism, white supremacy, but you go home every night to a white person. Like it's just it's like it does not compute to me in my in my um victim mind. Um that's all I wanted to say. Thank you guys for letting me share
4: Uh I just humbly submit again that I think for many, many years, uh films like Guess Who's Coming to Dinner, books like this, many other outlets uh, have said seriously that this is the route to solving the problem. Uh, in fact, the author, in addition to saying that Maverick is her favorite character, she also said that the reason Chris is in this book is to demonstrate what a white ally looks like. That's what many of us believe. insane saying, though, or illogical as it is, that's what we have been groomed to think by racists, many of us, that, hey... Being in these tragic arrangements, that right there is a part of what's going to solve this problem. Any other folks that we missed completely have commentary? Do we get everybody? We didn't miss anyone. Anyone else have commentary? I will assume we nabbed everyone. I think I mentioned the film Lakeview Terrace with Samuel L. Jackson. Uh, we, uh, Dr. Martin Kevorkian, I think, was on the broadcast many years back. We talked about that film. Did a counter-racist review. Uh, Samuel L. Jackson, black male. He has two children. Uh, black female, who's in a tragic arrangement with a white man, moves next door. Sam Jackson's character doesn't approve, and uh, he fusses at them and terrorizes them. He gets shot and killed at the end king kong style uh but uh he is portrayed as a racist terrorist and i think samuel l jackson's character is a police officer uh but it's the same type of projection that he is the racist because he does not support quote-unquote interracial relationships and it's the same thing his character doesn't have logic as to why he does not think uh quote unquote interracial relationships are correct. It's just, you know, emotion and loud blathering, same type of thing. There's no logical, reasoned assessment, analysis of why this is incorrect. Solid foundation, racism, white supremacy. But I, I said that I thought there would be more films like that, messaging like that. Any black person who opposes uh whites Being able to sexually terrorize non-white people, especially black people, there's something wrong with you. Uh, And that, I felt like, came through really strong in this week's portion of the reading. Uh, When his daughter asks, do you have a problem with white people? And he doesn't even answer, yes, I do have a problem with white people. It's no, not real. And this is the book of the Black Lives Matter generation uh even even again his assessment about you know feeling as though uh he didn't quite measure up maybe even feeling emasculated since she's with this white male since we've been saying his character's been emasculated the whole time that's fine but i would have much rather had just sound logic have you talked to this guy about racism have you talked to him about his parents possibly being racist Uh, The caller that brought up before he talked to his parents about dating her, but didn't give up a lot of details like, whoa, whoa, whoa. What is your pain? Like, man, uh, no logic. We don't need just a lot of emotion, more logic that is based on sound reasoning and an assessment of racism, white supremacy. Uh, The the next few pages down where Maverick tells Star and he said this a few times, you know, things I got your back and I won't let anything happen to you. If anything has been demonstrated to this point in the book, he is not the person that you want to depend on to protect you. Uh, I, if anything, uh, he has shown, even in his own house, uh, if you want to get something done, I think you should probably go to mom. That's what has been demonstrated to me. Uh, like, King is about to beat him up and take him down. The police have already come and smacked him around and threw him on the ground in front of his uh, children. The mom tells him to shut up. She's going to do whatever she wants to do whenever she I mean. Impotent. Super, super impotent. Uh, the poor diet and poor eating just continues. Ribs and baked beans. They had pancakes uh, at the beginning of it. We did get a banana sighting. I think that might have been the first and only uh, fruit and veggie sighting. I think they might have talked about veggies that were not being eaten earlier in the book, but just horrible uh, food for the black characters uh, throughout the uh, text. Um, I will... Stop there. I guess the the only other thing that I'll say, the rhythm of the text, I just find it uh, extraordinarily uh, distasteful (laughs) that a book that is supposed to be like genuinely concerned with black life, you know, allegedly inspired by the the murder of Oscar Grant, 2009, uh, that that is consistently interrupted to, in my view, like propagandize. Whites being able to sexually sewer black people. I just I find it the height of just total disregard for everything that all of that is supposed to be about. Uh, black lives matter. No white sexual access to black bodies matters more than anything. <laughs> that would be my takeaway uh, in this book. If you got a problem with Chris having access to your black daughter, the problem is you. Oh, yeah. And then we'll get back to didn't that drug shooting drug selling negra get shot. Yeah, that sure was a shame. Mm. Anybody else have a quick comment they need to get in before we conclude?
10: Say, Gus. Here. Oh. Go ahead. I uh, Thank you. I just wanted to quickly say everyone's uh, commentary tonight has been incredible. Um, and I want to say thank you, Gus, and thank you, Kwame, for your um, encouraging words about uh, the, the, my, my comments with the, uh, the voice uh, situation, because I was actually scared to bring that up again, because I didn't want to offend you, Gus or Kwame, and uh, I'll mute my line. Thanks.
4: Uh, Mr.
7: Demery Uh Yes. Uh, I'd just like to uh, ask you, Gus, if you could uh, give us a <clears throat> definition, a uh, simplified definition of a tempted family, because I think this is a good example of it. But when I try to explain it to someone, a novice or someone that uh, is not as conscious I have difficulty explaining the
4: term uh attempted family. I'll leave my line here, you no, uh definition. Uh, attempted family and I think Mr. Fuller, uh this is a concept that he's talked about uh for a while. Uh but just to give a quick my own analysis, a quick paraphrase, the system of white supremacy uh totally disqualifies non white people from being fathers Mothers, any other titles that you want to place on someone to be uh, a father, to be able to protect all of the things that Maverick talks about wanting to do in the book. The system of white supremacy uh, prohibits black people, non-white people from being able to fulfill those roles. So uh, you compensate by just trying to do the best that you can. You are an attempted family. Attempted father, attempted mother and so on. Attempted husband. And, you know, you get the picture. Uh, What that means is as you're just doing the best that you can. Uh, I realize that I'm going to be inadequate at this role, uh, even given my best uh, until we replace the system of white supremacy with a system of justice. But that said, I'm going to try to do my best Uh, from my limited perspective. uh, I'm going to be honest. With everybody here, myself first and foremost, and then everybody else here about the limited capacity that I'm functioning within. But I'm just going to try to do my best within that and making sure everybody knows about whatever my limitations are and has adequate uh, expectations of my role and how I'm going to be functioning within the system of white supremacy. It's uh, yeah, just more about, like I said, the statement that the sentence that I just read uh, where Maverick tells Star. I won't let him do anything to you. System of white supremacy attempted father. I'm going to do my best. Hey, uh, I cannot stop whites. Uh, If 115 or those enforcement officials, you saw what they did. That's the system of white supremacy. You know, if I was a father no way Uh, i got it Uh, this is my house nobody is going to come here and have me on that is not going to happen i can guarantee nobody is going to do anything with you we already got the support system you are safe i cannot do any of those things i can't even keep myself safe i have to hope police don't come through and make me get on the ground uh, again this time tomorrow being honest about that with everybody so that everybody understands And then you do the best that you can uh, while trying to solve the problem of racism. That's that would be my uh, interpretation or my explanation of attempted family, attempted father, attempted mother. Why uh, using that term uh, because of the system of white supremacy? That'd be my interpretation. I hope that makes sense. Uh, With that. Oh, did did that make sense, Mr. Demi Did I Was I talking crazy?
7: Yes, it did. And thank you very much, Gus. Very clear and and
4: eloquent. I appreciate it. Thank you. For sure. Uh, We did our three hours and uh, we will be here next week. As I said, we are beyond the halfway point. Thank the Lord. Uh, Thank Black Jesus. Uh, We have about, probably, I don't know, three. Three weeks, maybe three, maybe four. I'm not sure. But we have done more than half. So we'll pick up next week on Chapter 16. Uh, Again, if you're listening to the archives and you just want to write in, if you have a question, uh, comment, thoughts, feel free. I will read your uh, email as we continue through the text. Uh, Again, we'll be here tomorrow for the compensatory call in. That's Saturday, 9 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. Pacific. Uh, If you have guest suggestions, problem Gripe can't find something in the archives. Drop an email untiljustice at gmail. dot com. Again, uh, I know it is springtime. Weather is nice. The sun is still shining here in Seattle. It's eight o'clock. Uh, enjoy. Get out. Frolic. Have a great time. But you still want to be codified. That certainly, in my view, would mean sobriety. Still, would be best under conditions of white supremacy. Race soldiers, I think we had some examples of that in the text, they frequently take advantage of us being intoxicated where we maybe are not making the best decisions to further terrorize and abuse us. I think we would put ourselves in a better position, be sober so that we can think clearly uninhibited and try to make the best possible decisions to keep ourselves as safe as we can, us and anybody we might be responsible for. Certainly, if you're going to be out and about in a vehicle enjoying the spring weather, you want to be sober and buckled up, driver or passenger. Uh, Let's do everything we can to minimize contact with race soldiers, badge or no. That's it. Creator, we ask that you help us remain patient with other black people, victims of white supremacy Thanks all for tuning in. And again, warm wishes, speedy recovery to Mr. Demi wife. Kyle signing out. Thanks all for tuning in. Nigga, you so brainwashed. I'm a victim, your brother. problem. you a victim. Yeah. I'm up. a victim of 400 years of
7: conditioning. Shut up. The man has programmed
1: my conditioning.
7: Mm-hmm. Even my conditioning has been conditioned. <laughs>